warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! great music podcast like this one well there's only one place to go and that place is castironring.com it's your one-stop shop for all your music podcasts eight podcasts all in one spot metalheads you can't beat shit like that of course you've got focus on metal on there as well as Radioactive Metal with Rock and Snowy talking all about metal. Great interviews, good stuff. Got to check them out. My buddy Aaron with Signal to Noise. If you want to get all of your gear fixed, talking about all kinds of guitars and amps and making music and all of that good stuff, you have to hit it with Aaron at Signal to Noise. And then, of course, the man who founded all this crap is John Caddick. You've heard him here on Focus on Metal with Iron City Rock. So if you like the interviews that John does for Focus on Metal, then, of course, you want to catch more of that with John on his regular show, Iron City Rocks. And then, of course, the mighty Bob Nalbandian with the Shockwaves Hard Radio Podcast, as well as his new Roundtable Podcast, the Skull Sessions Podcast, here in Conversations Roundtable style with all kinds of great metal experts not to be missed. And then, of course, my man Stevie with the Bone Hand Heavy Half Hour. Good stuff to be had there. It's short, half an hour, put some metal in your ears and go away happy. You can't beat that one. And then the new kid on the block, Victor, with the Mars Attacks Radio, direct from Europe. You can't beat that. We've gone international metal, brothers. That's right. And where's all this stuff? Like I said, castironring.com. Go there and make your metal heart happy. Shining through the candle of deception. For the Bone Bat Podcast, where you can listen to Steve and Gord. It's a kick-ass digital broadcast where we've got dick jokes galore. Bone Bat. Hello, boys and girls. This is Alex from Entombed, and you're listening to the Bone Bat Show. Call it better, call it sharp 
What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 103 of the Bone Bat Show. This is Steve. And this is Gord. How's it going, man? Oh, man, let me tell you. This is how it's going. Unfreaking believable. I'm in, I'm in my favorite supermarket, the Nugget, right there in the produce section. And on my left is a rabbi. Like, he's got the full-on rabbi thing going on. On my right is, I'm, I swear to God, I'm not making this up. Buddhist monk. Those are the guys that wore the orange, the saffron robes, right? Yeah, okay. Okay, and so I got I got the rabbi on my left, the monk on my right, and we're standing right in front of the melons. And so I grabbed these Okay, two wait a minute. Up. You know what? I, I can't tolerate this anymore. Do you realize what? the raft of horseshit I had to eat? The complaints we've gotten over last episode's B-rant? My B-rant? Your B-rant. Where it? you threatened bodily violence on bees what no, people I, are I, pissed people like are I, angry at you we're losing listeners over this <laughs> i wait you know i did not advocate any violence towards bees no let's go to the videotape yeah screw you honeybees i want to punch honeybees in the face i i suppose i suppose my comments could be interpreted to have been hostile to the apiary community should I apologize? Is uh, apology in order here? You should probably apologize to bees, yes. Okay. I'm sorry we got hate mail. I'm sorry if my words were misinterpreted to be politically incorrect towards the beekeeper community. I want to punch and bees in the face? That was misinterpreted? I didn't say that. I said it was taken out of context. <laughs> so I said I want to punch bees in the face. I was speaking metaphorically. <laughs> I was metaphorically wanting to punch B-level actors in the international community in the face who don't support the important government programs to try to rein in Monsanto. Because that's oh, what okay. is about, that, right? that, Monsanto? I, I, that's enough. Your right to open this show has been revoked. Okay, well, you know, I would like to you apologize are... to the European honeybees, both here and abroad, especially the subspecies Apis florier, who suffered so much discrimination. I would apologize to the Native American honeybees, the, the Russian bees, the, the so-called Africanized bees. I, I feel your struggle. I would apologize to any members of the genus Hymenoptera who may be mistaken for a bee. It's just not fair. It's racist. It's speciesist. Uh, I, I'm going to apologize to the Puget Sound Beekeepers Association, the California Honey Suppliers, the National Honey Board, the Heartland Apicultural Society, and of course, my deep felt and sincere apology to the Brushy Mountain Bee Farm Apiary Supply Company, and anyone else that I may have offended when my remarks were taken out of context. Jesus, this, this whole show is a train wreck. Fortunately, though, someone else can step up. You know, you're not the only one who can act like an idiot in public. But no, but I'm one of the best. Yeah, well, that remains to be seen. Check this out. <laughs> so, right, talk to me. Saturday... My family and I are down at the uh, Seattle 4th of July zombie walk, the red, white, and dead event. 
And uh, my daughter is doing... Wait, wait, wait. Why isn't it the dead, white, and blue? I don't know. I've always wondered that. And I, I suspect... Way better name. I don't think they got the name right. Maybe if it was dead, white, and blue, maybe we would have broke the record. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, so my family and I, my daughter's doing zombie makeup for the walkers, which is pretty cool. And uh, my wife and my son, we're walking around the Seattle Center area, enjoying the fountain, things like that. And uh, we're down by the... Uh, Experience Music Project, and there is an Amway truck there that's giving away Frisbees. And so my son wants a free Frisbee. He walks up, he gets a free Frisbee. And so he's kind of messing around with it, and my wife runs kind of ahead of us a little way so we can throw the disc. And so I pick up the disc from my son, and I throw it to my wife. At the same moment, there's a bicyclist, a female bicyclist, coming this direction. Now, when I let go of the disc... I must have looked at the bike woman because when I released the disc, the disc does a perfect arc towards my wife, hanging a right and veering straight into the poor woman's helmet. Well, that's why you wear a helmet. So Steve might be around. So I, I hit this poor woman. I'm just like, like I have no excuse. I'm like, I am so sorry. <laughs> and she's like, that's all right. And she just keeps on riding. And I'm just like, oh, I'm an idiot. And there's like a crowd right behind me walking the same direction we are. <laughs> and I turn around and I look and this one guy goes, well, it could have been worse. And I'm just like, yeah, that was a total fail. So I pulled a Gordon, actually, in public on Saturday. Total Frisbee failure. And uh, it reminded me of something that you would do. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm proud of you. Welcome to the jungle. So now that the show is redeemed somehow, we've apologized to bees, and I have done my confession about hitting somebody with a Frisbee. Why don't we talk a little bit about the music this episode? Let's do it. I am supremely proud of the fact that this episode we are featuring the music of Stockholm, Sweden's The Entomb. This is a band that is one of my favorite bands. I've been listening to them for a long time. Just a great band. I've always been a fan of them because A... I like distorted guitars. That's just, I, I love that sound. And they have the fattest, darkest sound to their guitars. Additionally, the voice of LG Petrov. Just this amazing roar. When you talk about some of the greatest voices in heavy music, your James Hetfields and your Ozzy Osbournes and your Ronnie James Dio's and people like that, to me, Petrov is right up there. He has just a unique bellow but at the same time, he's still able to enunciate the lyrics. And the lyrics are something definitely to point to within Tomb. Their lyrics are just better wordplay, more clever than their compatriots. Always something to chuckle over or to enjoy within the lyrics themselves. Just a fantastic band, and I'm thrilled that we're finally able to feature him here. The Tomb that we opened with tonight was from 1999's album Uprising. And uh, that tune's called Say It in Slugs. And kind of a good tune to lead into a pissed off rant. We're going to be listening to a lot more. Plus, I have an extended interview with the guitarist and founding member of the band, Alex Hellett. So we're going to be checking that out in a little bit and some more music. But I hope you dig it. Dig it. Bury it. So in the meantime, you were already starting this show out in kind of an aggro mode. That we are. What pisses you off, Gord? You know what pisses me off? What? The power, the electric power where I live continues to go out. <laughs> I have PG&E is the only provider I'm allowed to have, and I've taken to calling them Pakistani Gas and Electric because 
you know, the power situation in Pakistan. They have a hard time keeping electricity flowing. It keeps going out, and it's bad enough that we have blackouts, but we have brownouts. And you put surge protectors on all your electronics to protect you from blackouts, but you get a brownout where there's, like, just a little bit of power, just like a little squirt of electricity going through. It fries electronics. It's bad for them. I've, I lost one chunk of electronics already. It, it pisses me off. And to make matters worse, these unscheduled blackouts and brownouts, there's a PG&E website with an outage map where you can click on your area or you can type in your city name and it'll show a map and it'll show what's going on and like what's going on, how long they expect it to, to be going on when you can expect the power to go back on. But it is not optimized for phones, for mobile devices. So it works great if you're sitting at your desktop computer, but if the power's out, you're not. You are using your phone to try to find out what's going on, and it doesn't work on a phone. <laughs> You've got to, like, take your laptop and drive until you find someplace where the lights are on and try to find some Wi-Fi to look at the map to see how long you're going to be without power. Freaking PG&E, get it together. I would so love to get electricity from somebody else. And just to make matters even, even, even worse, they keep sending me these letters saying, Hey, we're going to have a planned outage in your neighborhood because we're replacing a switch or replacing power line. Why don't they just get it all done at once? I got yet another letter yesterday. Hey, next week, all day long on a Thursday, no electricity for you. Because we're improving our service. We're improving your PG&E experience. <laughs> Christ, this third world electrical issue we're dealing with here. How can you podcast with no electricity? You can't do it. I ask you. That's what pisses me off. Wow, well you know what pisses me off? I got a couple of things this episode. First of all, it's summertime and it's the time to go out and do summery things. And uh, we've been going out and playing a little disc golf lately. Oh, no. More with the plastic flying discs? Yeah, which is always a good time. You've, you've thrown a little plastic in your day, have you not? I have, indeed. So uh, we're out playing disc golf. And we've seen some people out there that can just throw the discs just a mile. And it's like, yeah. you know, we're throwing as hard as we can. Why aren't we being efficient? And so Julie, like, went online and watched a couple of videos. And so she was going to try a new technique. And you know how that always works out. <laughs> yeah. that You start kind of overthinking it as you try to correct, you know, your, your, the way you're throwing, your motion. You start thinking about every little thing, and it ends up with the result of you, you're not able to throw effectively. So her very first throw off the first tee... She throws it, it arcs up beautifully in the air, and lands on the roof of this barn. <laughs> so, we uh, we play around our nine holes, and we come back, and we're looking at it. It's, you know, about three feet up the roof from the lip, and, uh, you know, there's it's too tall. It's like double high of a roof, so it's like a two-story kind of a thing, or a story and a half. And we notice that there's like this big, long pole there. And so I pick the pole up, and it extends out. It's like a, a pool skimming pole kind of a thing. And so I, I arc it, and it kind of bends way up, and I can get behind it, but it's there's, like, no strength behind it. So I, I can't, like, use it to pull the disc. And mind you, we're not the only ones that this happened to. There's two other discs up on the roof of this barn, too. So I get the idea, well, what if I take my backpack, 
with the discs in it and tie that to the end of the pole. That'll give a little weight. I'll put some of the discs in it. And then I will put that up there and then try to drag the backpack across. And perhaps I'll be able to catch the disc and pull it on the floor. So I, I try to do that to no effect. It moves a little bit, but there really isn't enough weight. So then I take uh, a couple more discs, put the rest of the discs in the backpack, lift it up, and boing, the entire pole like bends in half. <laughs> like just short of snapping. So I kind of bend it back and... It, oh, it didn't deposit the backpack on the roof? No, no, no. I got oh, the backpack back. I kind of put it back together and then kind of stuck it over in the corner. And so we left with the thought that we'd come back today and see, you know, if the park people came and, like, took them off the roof and put them somewhere where you could claim your disc. So we, uh, we go back tonight and uh, are checking things out, and the discs are gone. The roof's tire- entirely clean. Yeah, they cleaned it out. And we went and walked around, and there's, like, no place. And I'm a veteran disc golf player. Inside it says... <laughs> Not to brag, but... Right. It, no, I just... I've lost enough discs. I know. My name, my phone number, even bonehand.com is written on the inside oh, of cool. that disc. And right. I haven't heard from anybody. I, I suspect some motherfucker went up there and stole our disc. And it's got my fucking name in it. How do you take somebody's disc that's got somebody's name in it? And phone you know, number. That's I asshole. had a disc get lost and it had my uh, name and phone number in it. And I got a call. It was literally some chick calling me up asking if I would trade my disc back for a bag of weed. No. <laughs> Perhaps the people that frequent disc golf courses may be, uh, <laughs> tend to be stoners. And Isn't the trophy for the National Disc Golf Championship like a bong? A bong that's actually, yeah, it doubles as one of those uh, holes. It's like got the chains coming down, and each chain you can you can pull off and smoke out of. Yeah, that big basket. You, they just fill it with like a, a bale of of Humboldt Green. Yeah, so, and, uh, so yeah. You, I take it. Did you get your disc back? <laughs> no, I told her to fuck off. <laughs> I mean. What's worse than like someone stealing your disc, but stealing your disc and then trying to ransom it back yeah. for drugs that are worth a hell of a lot more than your disc anyway? Yeah. Still though, that that totally pisses me off that somebody would steal something that's got you, like your name and phone number written in it. That's just bullshit. Now, it's on the off chance, I did leave a phone message with the Parks and Recreation Department's Lost and Found, and I will redact this. What pisses me off if it turns out that. The disc shows up, and I do end up getting it back. But still, kind of pissing me off, man. Yeah. Somehow I think the, the Parks and Recreation Department is as worried about your redaction as uh, Monsanto was worried about my political right. Yeah, probably not. Well, you know what? I've got the perfect song to listen to after what pisses us off. This is Entombed, Seeing Red.
Once again, that was Seeing Red from Uprising. Great tune to come off of What Pisses You Off. And joining us now in celebration of 25 years of crushing Swedish death metal, Alex Hellid, guitarist, founding member of Entombed. How you doing, man? I'm great, and thanks for having Entombed on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. I can't tell you. I mean, my co-host Gordon always hears me talking about Entombed. I'm a kid in a candy store being able to talk to you, so thanks so much. Awesome. I'm glad to be here. So let's talk a little bit about the early years in Stockholm, the crucible that formed Entombed. What was the scene like in the late 80s in Stockholm? Uh, I guess it was sort of a no scene, (laughs) Uh, really. I mean, looking back, must have seen like a, a bunch of kids sort of roaming around not having anywhere to go because uh, we were too young basically to be going out to bars and stuff so we used to hang in weird places and like no places at all and uh, eventually I met up with Nikke and a couple of my other friends we uh, started this band and uh, I remember back then time seemed to take uh, it's time basically I mean looking back at it, it it wasn't such a long period of time but it seems like a lot of things happened I mean we made like three demo tapes as Nihilist before we changed the name into Entombed and we made one demo as Entombed and then uh, we met up with Eric Records I think we first met Digby at a Napalm Death show in, in Stockholm <laughs> awesome. and because I mean we all grew up with you know like Kiss and Our Maiden and, and stuff like that from, from when we were kids but, and then it turned into like Metallica and Slayer and then you know naturally progressed into like tape trading and then bands like Morbid Angel and uh, Repulsion and Napalm Death and they became our new sort of heroes so <laughs> it didn't seem like a scene back then that's what i remember because i mean we, we were a couple of bands but scattered around the stockholm areas so it wasn't like a there were no clubs i mean there was one club uh, that used to be called the ultra house mm-hmm. and it, it was like really far from where i live the only reason i knew about it was because of nicky had found out about it i think he had some older friends mm-hmm. something and he lived on the other side of town as well from me and that was like going to another country almost back you know when we were kids because i lived north of stockholm and he lived uh, south of stockholm mm-hmm. so he used to travel to my part of town and I, I think that took him like two hours on a train the first show we played in my sort of uh, suburb in like a youth club and and there is a video from it I'm, I'm gonna try and dig it up but one of the things I remember most is somebody off camera walking up you know from behind to the camera and, and holding his hand over the microphone and saying something like this sounds like fucking shit or something you know? <laughs> <laughs> while, while we are playing. <laughs> that's funny. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, one of the funny things I remember about that show. And then other than that, I mean, we did maybe two, three shows at this ultra house and that was like 13 or 14 or something. <laughs> and the people that you, that were hanging there were, you know, they, you felt like they were like old people, but they were probably, you know, maybe 17 or something or 18 <laughs> <laughs> so we were uh, like new kids on the block 
because <laughs> they used to bring bands in there from outside of Sweden as well. I remember like some German bands came there and stuff, but it was too far from my house basically. So I, I never really went there on the other one, the couple of times when we played. Uh, and then probably in the same year, the house burned to the ground because it was just this big house basically and they, they burnt it down. So yeah, what I wanted to say, like what felt like a 10 year period was probably just like a year and a half or so. <laughs> now looking back at it, I, I remember it, it felt like things happened over a long period, but it was quite a short period actually. The impatience of youth, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I remember like the first album, I guess, was recorded in like 89 and came out in 1990. And I remember being really, really surprised that what we saw as the mainstream, you know, like Kerrang! and, and the, like those kind of magazines, that they actually gave it a good review. Because we weren't really focused on getting a record deal or anything, mm -hmm. from what I remember. I mean, Nicky might have had, had a plans, but, you know, you, you kind of were into this tape trading thing, and it was supposed to be underground, and it was supposed <laughs> to be, you know, you were supposed to trade your tapes with other people, and uh, you weren't really even thinking about putting it on vinyl because that almost seemed like it was unattainable because that was you know like Iron Maiden and those people right, they, sure. they put out records you know and we so I, so I remember being kind of surprised when it, I think it got four, four out of five in Kerrang and that was at the time <laughs> the Bible I think when it came to international for us anyway oh even uh, here uh, metalheads in the US followed Kerrang as well yeah so. I mean, because we, we were reading, like, a lot of fan scenes. Even Metallica were in, in some of the fan scenes back then. I remember, like, Metal Forces and, uh -huh. like, some other fan scenes that we used to have. Talking about zines, you had your own zine, correct? Yes. Dark Awakening. Great title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the one we were working on before, me and Nicky, was called Chicken Shit. So, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> if this one was better. I made all of one issue using the Xerox machine at my you know, my mother's uh, job during a, a summer where I was supposed to deliver mail or something at her office. So <laughs> I had a lot of uh, a lot of free time, and uh, this was the unholy fruit of it. <laughs> Do you remember what you covered in that issue? The one issue that you did. I mean, I remember Sarcofago, this Brazilian band was on the cover, and they were like my favorite at the time. Uh, we just thought they looked cool. Not the mainstream metal that somebody like Sepultura had turned into in our eyes, you know? Right, so, yeah, sure. <laughs> they had that underground cred still. Yeah. And I, I guess that the level was turned up pretty high on what was underground, because we, I mean, I remember us thinking like yeah Sepultura turned into Metallica and you know we, we all liked Metallica so it wasn't that it was just that some bands were still seen to be underground and right. and uh, of course very cool because <laughs> of it yeah. so I remember walking from the subway holding this copy of Kerrang and like thinking maybe if, if this album sells like it's a thousand copies or something <laughs> maybe maybe we get to do another one I never thought that I would be uh still doing this after all these years you know so that's a little bit of a, a surprise still <laughs> it's interesting because so, you were saying that there wasn't much of a scene there really but it, it fascinates me that out of such a kind of a small creative group 
so many bands came out of that that are still running even today. Like, you know, I guess Dismembered's gone now, but they had a long career. Unleashed, Tiamat, Therion, you guys Entombed, of course. Uh, Grave, probably their neighbors, I guess, sonically, if not geographically. You know, you put the number of albums that came out from those bands and compare that to even a scene like Seattle Grunge, say, where there were a lot of bands, but they only lasted three years. And in Sweden's death metal scene that you're talking about, bands would last for decades. It's amazing. Yeah, it's kind of strange, isn't it? <laughs> People, I, guess, I guess we're uh, too stubborn to give up. I guess and, that is. That's a good thing. No, no, no one to quit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Ola from Grave, I mean, he's a really cool guy. That I know, I like him a lot. They had this band before Grave even. And they were called Corpse. And I remember getting their demo tapes in, you know, while we were still in school, of course. And it was, yeah, I mean, when you look back at it, it still amazes me. Even the stuff that we did, because if you, if you listen to like an old rehearsal tape and you hear the music and then in between the songs, you hear that it's these really young kids <laughs> doing, doing this noise, you know. Right, sure. And, it, and it's kind of like, can realize that we yeah we we may have thought that we were you know old enough or something but we were basically 12 13 year olds or something <laughs> but uh, yeah it's, it's kind of quite an achievement yeah and i, and I guess we because we took a lot from i mean from what i remember it was a lot a lot of the bands was from you know florida and you know england as well so we i guess we didn't really see it as creating something of our own you know we mm-hmm. were copying others and i guess it got its own flavor you know well two of the things i think even from the early years that i found distinctive and unique about entombed is one that fat gut bucket distorted guitar sound that i just love and lg petrov's voice which i i think it took him a couple albums to sort of grow into it yeah, I mean, it, it's matured. He used to lose his voice a lot, in, in uh, like, especially when we started doing more shows. But in later years, I guess he's learned to control it a bit so <laughs> that he can actually, I, I really like it as well. So Yeah, you know, left-hand path, he sounds scary, but Wolverine Blues, he sounds pissed. And that was yeah. where it kind of changed and his voice started getting deeper. And definitely by To Ride, Shoot Straight and Speak the Truth, by that point, his voice was in full form. And then you yeah. had that guitar sound, which is just amazing. Now, I bought a long time ago my Boss Heavy Metal pedal, and I have never been able to make it sound like Entombed. Tell us now, <laughs> what are the settings on this thing? I've got it right here. How do I set this to sound like Entombed? <laughs> I myself actually never had one. I always had the DS1, the, the orange one. And then our first guitar player, he bought that Heavy Metal pedal, and he had like a small Marshall combo, like the, the smallest mm. one. Was that a Leif uh, Kuzner? Yes, Leif Kuzner, yeah. And I guess he wasn't really happy with the pedal or the sound he got. I think like the only way he liked it was when he put everything on full. So that's been the setting, you know, that, so he, it's that he used. So basically all four knobs on full. Yeah, that was it, you know, and that's when it started, you know, we were laughing at first because it was almost ridiculous. So that was the start of it for sure, you know, and and I remember when, because Leif, his dad was Canadian and then like in 88, they were going to move back to Canada. So he was really sort of sad that he had to leave the band because he was only 14 years old or something. (laughs) Yeah. 
so they wouldn't leave him behind to to play in a, in a death metal band with his friends. So he left, and and uh, our friend uh, Ufa, who it was actually Nicky met Ufa and, and LG through an ad in this uh, record store. Uh, was that Heavy, Heavy Sound? Sound? Heavy Sound, yeah, Heavy yeah. Sound. Because Nicky was just this guy who he played drums and he played guitar and he he just wanted to find more people to play with. And they lived on the south side of town, so I guess he wanted to play. I don't know if he wanted to play guitar, bass, or something. But he, I think they were looking for a bass player because Ufi played guitar and, and LG played drums. So he went there to go play with them at one point, and uh, I, I don't think nothing really came out of it, other than he made some new friends. And when we, as Nihilist, went to record our first demo tape, we, we kind of invited them because we didn't have a singer, so. I don't know how it came about, actually, that we thought about letting LG, who played drums, uh, sing. And I think Ufa played some leads on that first tape, Premature Autopsy, <laughs> uh, a demo named so by Chris Reifert, by the way, from uh, Autopsy. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, he's a, a fan from the start. And I guess he was the one who suggested that title, actually, to me. <laughs> So LG is in the band with the awesome voice. How do you fire him before clandestine? How did that happen, man? <laughs> I guess the true story is, as we said back then, I guess he was gluing on Nick's girlfriend or something. Or <laughs> <laughs> He was basically, I don't know if he did that even or if he, but I think Nicky got a little bit upset because I remember him calling me and, and like, being really upset with something and I was like yeah I thought it was a little harsh maybe but he's <laughs> like no I don't want to be in, in a band with this guy anymore you know they can do this you know to me um, and I mean since me and him started the thing if I had to choose it's like yeah it was me and Nicky from the start with, right. with some other guys and I hoped at the time that it would pass but since things happened quite quickly, it felt like there was a long period between those albums. But now that when you look at it, I think Left on Path came out in 90 and Clandestine came out in 91. Yeah, one year, yeah. right? Yeah, but for me, I would say it felt like definitely two, three years in between them. But just looking on from what I remember, what we did, and I mean, we released one EP, the Crawl EP with one singer who actually sang on the EP, uh, Orvar, who's a friend. At that time, I, I don't think we even tried out. We didn't have auditions. I guess it was just like, yeah, we know this guy, and he uh, you know, he sang in Nirvana 2002, you know, and it should work. Let's try him. Because <laughs> we need to take uh, photos for the Crawl EP now, so we need somebody, you know, <laughs> also. <laughs> to me, at least, that's the way it feels. Like, like things happen so quickly all the time. And I guess that was because Nicky was uh, quite, uh, and still is, I mean, he, he gets restless very easy. So he, he likes it when things happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we did that. And then the, the album came out and we did one U.S. tour actually as a four piece because uh, Johnny, who supposedly sang on Clandestine, I think he's got one line on the album. And then it, and then I it's read Nicky about that. So, you know, it's kind of interesting that his name's on there. Yeah, yeah we, you know, because you, know, you should have a singer. And he looked the part, and I'm sure he can learn the songs in time for the shows. That's how we thought. And obviously, we didn't really think it through. <laughs> but the, the then, recording is actually like, Nicka? Yeah. And then uh, 
I don't remember what song it is, but it's like one one line with "I just want to die" or something. That's that's Johnny <laughs> on on that old album. Can't remember what song it is. And, I'm gonna have uh, to find that now. <laughs> so yeah, the rest of it is Nicky actually, but then that didn't really work out from the, from the live performances. It, it never really worked out. So before we were gonna do this Eric tour, the Gods of Grind, we had a little band meeting, and I I think I suggested that maybe because I, I used to used to bump into LG you know here and there mm-hmm. and I knew I knew he was you know really wanting to be back in the band and uh, it seemed Nick and him had sort of uh, grown up a little bit about this girl issue as well so uh, <laughs> well, you guys so, were also young then too yeah I don't know <laughs> it's still a mystery now so uh, but yes yeah, so I, I actually called him up like in two o'clock in the morning woke him up like i don't know how many days before we were actually leaving but but it wasn't like a week even before this tour was supposed to start and i just uh, you know asked if he wanted to come back to the band and uh he wanted that very much and then like the week after we were on a like a tour through europe with carcass and confessor and cathedral so (laughs) that's awesome uh, what do yeah. you remember? You guys were so young again. How, what do you remember about those early tours? Was it just crazy? It was. I mean, and Sweden is, at least to us, we're known for our quite restrictive, uh, like alcohol and stuff is quite expensive, and which, of course, just makes kids want to drink more. So when you get <laughs> outside of Sweden and, you know, people don't really treat alcohol like it's something unusual. Right. Oh yeah, go uh, to but, Germany. But to us, but to us, you know, yeah, if you know, you, you, you go to Germany and all of a sudden there's not one beer to share. It's like a couple of crates, <laughs> and, and everybody's still acting like it's gonna, you know, run out and trying to uh, drink as much as possible before <laughs> somebody else drinks your beer. But it, you know, it's like so. It's it's not all, only musicians. That's that goes for. Swedes in general, I think, like when <laughs> people <laughs> people go outside of Sweden and behave badly, and I, I guess that's what uh, what we did for uh, quite a few years. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was quite crazy, not in a like Motley Crue crazy, because right. uh, since we <laughs> there were no throwing know, TVs out hotel room windows or anything. Like no, that. there were no hotel rooms, and there were no <laughs> girls, from what I remember. And there it was were no driving around like, in a van, wasn't it? Exactly. The first time we were in, in the States, I don't know how old I was, but I wasn't allowed to drink anyway in, in, in most states. Mm-hmm. I guess it was 21 limit in, in most states, and I was uh, not 21 by far. Uh, <laughs> so it was fun and pretty crazy. <laughs> so then you come back from God's a Grind. You, you guys had like several EPs out in a row, right? You had, uh, let's see, Stranger Eons and Chaos Breed in 92. And then Hollow Man in 93, which was kind of a change of sound for you guys. You started to slow things down. Yeah, I mean, we met another U.S. band. They were on tour in Sweden with Candlemas, this band called Atheist. This must have been in like 1990 or something. And I remember we played up there and it was after LG had left the band because I, I know I met him up there. and It was weird because we played and he, he wasn't playing with us mm-hmm. but i remember us being totally blown away by this band atheist and uh, i think the guitar player's name was kelly or something and he, he was left-handed but he played on a right-handed guitar upside down the strings you know the, the heavy <laughs> wow. string at the bottom and just 
these crazy, really technical riffs. And I think that's definitely one of the reasons why kind of Destin sounded the way it did and it was more complex and more more riffs and compared to uh, Left on Path that was more maybe punky. I mean, when we started out, we called ourselves like Brain Warp and we, we thought we were sort of a, a death metal hardcore mix. So like we you know, listened to a lot of like DRI and, and stuff like that as well. And we were skate kids and most of that, I guess, was gone by clandestine i remember when when the second album came out a lot of people thought it was almost like a, another band even back then there was such a big difference between the first and the second one that people were like what happened like what have you done you know you, a lot of people liked it but a lot of people were like really upset that we had changed style so much and and not a lot of people say that these days you know mm-hmm. and the same thing happened after the second album when we tried to get things a little different from the second album and then try to not have you know maybe 10 riffs in a song and, and maybe take it down to half and, <laughs> right, and make, sure. make two songs instead of of, uh, of one song that sort of went to more places so i guess that was a direct reaction to the second album when the third one came out or the hollow man ep which was sort of leading up to the third album I mean, they were both recorded during the same sessions, the Hollow Man EP and uh, the Wolverine Blues album followed. So was that, uh, so you, you guys were doing like so many EPs, was that kind of an offshoot of the demo days where you guys were just so prolific, you're always working on new music and you always wanted to put out new stuff? Is that why you continue? I mean, even to this day, when in Sodom preceded Serpent Saints, you know what I mean? So you always have just some extra music, you seem to be bursting with creativity at all times <laughs> yeah i mean it started out like that and then it kind of became a pattern almost that we weren't putting out singles uh, since we were not like mainstream music not putting out radio singles but this was a way to put out something before the album that had a few more songs on it so it was something that you actually might want to buy also because it's not just you buying one song and and usually as i said we usually had a few more songs than maybe would go on an album and i think it also you know growing up with i always remember like like our maiden for example they always put out these 12 inch singles absolutely yeah and i have a bunch I, and of I them remember still. really you know loving all those things you know like <laughs> extra material and and with with maiden it was always you know the the extra just looking at the sleeves were were you know enough almost <laughs> sometimes you didn't even have the the actual record just just <laughs> looked at the i mean i i almost got into music uh, i mean i my first two like hard rock albums were like destroyer and rock and roll over with uh, kiss and then no way uh, that was my first album too rock and roll over <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's funny <laughs> but yeah and, and from that you kind of it's an easy road into like the merch side of things and the, the imagery of things so it's i mean i i always love just hanging out in these uh, stores in Stockholm where they sold merch you know like band merch just yeah. they would always of course play the music as well so just like Judas and ACDC and you know Maiden and like just looking at all these shirts I mean for me that's uh, almost as big a especially in the beginning like when you didn't have all the music and it, and it was no way of finding it on any internet or anything I mean you spent probably more time looking in magazines looking at album covers than actually right. listening right. to those records you know 
So, so the definitely the artwork and, and all those things is still something that I really love. And that's why, you know, like a vinyl version of something is still, even if you're not listening to it, you, know, you might be listening to it on your iPad these days. But, <laughs> but going on Spotify, I still miss actually holding the thing and getting all the information that you can give to people with the physical the still. I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't see why you can't do that with the digital format because, I mean, it should be even easier to sort of yeah. give a lot of background the stories and stuff with each song which is what i, I mean because i'm a kind of a nerd when it comes to how things came about like if i had my way I, I would know what went through everybody's head when they first thought of the title or the how the the riffs were put together or you know what fights were fought in the studio or who you know i i'm, I'm just a sucker for all those things oh so, yeah absolutely well that's but, I, I too was totally captivated by Derek riggs art on those old major yeah. albums yeah and i you remember and you're, and you're reading you all the look at them you know? yeah and you're reading the liner notes and they're you know up the hammers and they're talking about just all this different kind of obscure stuff people they think and you would be just soaking in it while you're listening yeah. to the album and that was yeah. i miss that too you don't see that as much yeah, and that's uh, I guess that that seems to be just pure laziness. Because now, I mean, they, there's no excuse not to provide all those things. Because that sort of information you could, especially on a CD format or in a digital download file or something, you could give uh, more of it than you could ever fit in a in a physical format. Actually, so it's just a question of actually compiling all the information and serving it up to people. So, 1993, uh, Wolverine Blues hits. It's, which is yep. funny. I remember first hearing about this album in a comic book. It was an ad, I think, in like an X Men comic for Wolverine yeah. Blues, and I was like, "What yeah, I mean, the hell?" Columbia Columbia Records came up with that idea, and we didn't even because we came off of uh, James Elroy, you know. That, yeah, that's exactly. Where we took the title from, so we didn't even. I mean, I know there was an X Men called you know, Wolverine, but we we never put those two together you know and it, <laughs> until the, until columbia did it you know that that was uh and all, also they could pull it off because they probably knew the right people but I, I remember they had to talk us into it a little bit because at first we didn't really see the fit at all even though the name was you know the same you know <laughs> well yeah because you know james Elroy is like the writer of these gritty grimy hollywood whodunits and yeah. then, you know, the, the difference. And they left the best song off the album, Your Tune, out of hand. What the hell? Yeah, that was, I guess, when we first got to uh, sort of learn about compromising. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, because to us, I realize now that because the European version, of course, had, you know, out of hand on there. And it, I think it, it had already been out for a little while. So you kind of think that, yeah, people can probably get whichever version they want but mm. of course that's not the case i mean if you've bought it once you're not gonna maybe buy it twice just because you get one extra song and i remember another thing that happened on that album was the the samples that we had not of course cleared with anybody we just put them on there i think they were <laughs> taken away as well the marvel version of, of the wolverine mm. album in america i think i think it didn't have any samples i don't know if they even tried or if it was just decided that it was too much hassle or, or something but the samples came off and that last song came off i guess because it was seen as being too wasn't this the area like the parental advisory yeah. sticker and, pmrc and, I, and all that stuff sure yeah Probably i think so. that, that the marvel version was going to be without that 
a sticker on it. So I guess that's why that whole song got left off yeah. also. <laughs> Which kind of shows the difference between sort of the, the U.S. marketing views and Europe. Because, you know, like Bolt Thrower had a couple albums that tied into Warhammer 40,000, you know, with yeah. that sort of imagery. But nothing was toned down on Realm of Chaos. I think that was in like 1990 or something. Yeah. But America, I mean, oh, okay, we're going to we're gonna introduce this, this to kids, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think this was, uh, you know, I think we were buying into the whole somebody was probably mentioning some numbers that yeah marvel is you know going out to this and this many people and it would be a good way to reach them <laughs> so it must it must have been something like that but i remember as not being uh, you know totally happy about it it's one of those things where you kind of try to forget that you actually did it and you kind of uh, try and, and talk ourselves into it by saying yeah i mean it's just one version of the album it's going to be available in america with you know the 10 songs in a with a sticker as well without the marvel uh, edition you know so we the way we justified it to ourselves uh, if i remember correctly was that we uh, sort of saw it as a just a marvel version of the album and then then there was the real version as well and this was just uh, sort of a promotional version mm-hmm. <laughs> that that was gonna possibly get the music out to a few more people than would have uh, picked it up if it was just an entombed album. So it would be interesting, of course, to know how many people actually got to hear that album through being a Marvel comic fan only, (laughs) not a music fan, you know. Yeah, I I also, in one way, actually liked that we weren't too stubborn about things. I mean, we... We didn't just say yes to everything, and at least, if anything, there were more versions of the album. The only thing, of course, is if people bought one version, because that pisses me off, so that's that's the, the bad part. You buy one version, and if you're not careful, you get the version that is you know censored, and in this case, just nine out of ten songs. Yeah. I, I know I would have been pissed off. If it was a band, I mean, if it would have been Slayer, I would have bought everything of course because i would have bought the marvel version as well but i i would have known that it was you know a special version but i i would also have bought the other versions but i hope not too many people bought it and were pissed off uh, hopefully they didn't know that there was another version then <laughs> so were the, were those kind of the issues that led to you guys leaving earache no not at all i mean it was we've never really talked about that i mean but we were kind of you know stubborn kids and we were just friends from the beginning with Digby, it felt like. And then, you know, managers come into the picture and the band tours more and more. So it's less communication with the label and there's a, a manager doing all the communication instead. And uh, I guess somewhere uh, along that line, things got a little sour. <laughs> oh, wow. And I guess it's the usual communication breakdown story, you know, where... I'm sure we could have worked it out if we were actually talking straight to them, but then there was always people in between. Pretty soon you have a mess on your hands. Yeah, and I remember the thing that made us like, that's it, basically. That I, I think we were going to do a, a U.S. tour, and uh, we were sitting in New Jersey in our then manager's house, and outside there was a, like an empty rider truck, uh, and we were going to go up to Canada to the first show, and this was like in, I don't know, January, February. So it was like really cold, and he said like, yeah, I mean, Eric promised us some tour support so we could 
get to the first show and, and get the equipment and stuff. But now they uh, want you to re-sign. <laughs> Uh, otherwise, they won't support this tour. Oh and we shit! Felt, yeah, and we felt a little blackmailed, I guess, by that. And that's when we, I think, made up our minds that now nah, we, we're not going to do that. But that's how I remember it, you know. And, and there was probably some more things to it than that. But that's how I remember us deciding that we not that we we're not even going to because we had one more album to give them. Like to ride was actually going to be recorded for Erie because we had four albums on the first deal. And from what I remember, that was the thing that made us go like, no, we we won't even give them the last album. That was the last straw. Like, it's a little sad. And in hindsight, it would have been so much better probably if we, because we lost a lot of time. We lost about a year doing like stupid fighting our way out of a contract, and then the album was pretty much done. So I think that was like the first time we actually slowed down, and that's one of the worst things you can do, <laughs> uh, especially back then. You know, because that year that we waited to record, to ride, that also felt really, really long. And and the fact that it was, it was already written as well, so uh, it, it was a, a really long period to just hang around. So if it's one thing I wish we would have solved in another way, it would be to had recorded that album when it should have been recorded probably around uh, 95 or something mm -hmm. instead of 96 so well when it did come it was the start of a new era so why don't we check out a tune from that album tell us a little bit about this one yeah this is like this with the devil and it's a short and energetic song that i really enjoy playing live still to this day i think we played it last weekend actually we played in belgium grass pop festival and in norway in the same weekend i recently found a a live show uh, from 96 and that was before we did a, a tour with uh, refused and fireside in sweden uh, like march 96 and i i found uh, a few recordings from there and and this was the first song that we actually played to people from the to ride album before it came out so let's do it you like it
Once again, that was Like This with the Devil from 1997's To Ride, Shoot Straight, and Speak the Truth. Now, let's talk a little bit about that period. Now, at the time, I guess you guys were kind of ahead of the curve. I mean, you went independent right after leaving Earache or pretty shortly thereafter, preceding what a lot of bands are really doing today. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we uh, at first, I guess it was more... uh, finding an identity within a bigger label because when we left eric we actually recorded to ride for warner mm-hmm. so so we tried to be independent within a major label basically and and i guess we at the end of, of Wolverine, the album before we had had really good experiences working with columbia in the states uh-huh. so we knew that if there's the right people I mean, it's all about people in the end. So if there's a good team, you know, we weren't really afraid of working with a major label, even though we wanted to have our own identity within Warner. And Mm -hmm. and that's where the three-man name came from. I guess it was just a name at first. And then when our guy at Warner quit or whatever happened before To Ride was released... That's when we also asked if we could buy the album back and, and this uh, arrangement with Music for Nations was, was done and uh, we took the, the label idea to them as well and, and just kept the three-man thing. And, and since then, we kind of made sure that we had all the, the masters under the three-man name. You would create yeah. the album yourself and then you would just find distribution for all the different countries. Yeah, or, or actually, the first we just licensed it to Music for Nations. Oh, so okay. it was after that in like 2003 when music of nations was no more i mean they were bought up and and then just i guess sony or bmg or whoever had it at the end just uh (laughs) (laughs) you know we had left the label by then anyway but that's when we uh wanted to get back into the working with more independent people like companies that and found like distribution and stuff for the the next album which took a lot longer to sort out than we, uh, I guess, had planned at the time. You know, you kind of learn quickly actually what it is a label used to do for you. you yeah. <laughs> but it was uh, good experiences. And I guess the good part was that we now, after all these years, you know, those albums reverted to us and we can now make sure that they will become available again and we decide in what form and how. And so, so that feels really good. I mean, it, I don't know if we looked this far ahead at the time, but it, I definitely wouldn't have mind if the first three album was part of this deal as well, of course. So, <laughs> Well, maybe one day. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, never know. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, given the landscape of the music scene today, that's a cool thing to have is to actually own your own masters for the albums that you do. So nicely done. Yeah, definitely so, feels good. Because, I mean, I feel kind of sad when you know that people have worked for a long time and then at the end of it, if the band is no more, then uh, a lot of people don't really have any control over what happens with what they worked on. And, and that, yeah, to me, that's kind of sad. So Yeah, absolutely. So is Three Man, is that just a name or is that three of you in the band that the title it, is indicating? It, it came from a, a drinking game that the guys from Confessor that we toured with on the Gods of Grind tour, uh-huh. one of the guitar players taught us this drinking game like a dice game and it was called <laughs> three man so once the three came up then you know somebody was the three man and had to do something when the you know you sit in a circle and you know 
the three man gets to drink even if somebody else rolls with that. I don't remember all the rules, but when it came to come up with a name, that was the name that came up. I think the first uh, suggestion was Turd on a Plate Records, <laughs> and then the second one was Three Man, so we, we picked Three Man. Yeah, probably was a good way to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Turd on a Plate came from this other U.S. band that we toured with. They had an album called uh, Slaughter in the Vatican. Exhorter. Oh, okay. And uh, on one of the tours we did, the drummer in that band put a turd on a plate and put it on the catering table. So that, I think that's where, where that <laughs> that's where that came from. He put it, you know, under one of these glass things so you didn't really see it. And uh, this nice old lady who took care of the catering freaked out when uh, she came to clean up. <laughs> and uh, they weren't playing on the next show because there was the same promoter and this was the promoter's <laughs> wife you know so, oh damn yeah <laughs> so uh, but it was i don't know i guess it was a little funny at the time even if it was uh, really disgusting <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the album itself yep. to ride shoot straight and speak the truth yeah i mean i guess we we were ready to record it straight after Wolverine so this must have been like I think we wanted to record it in 95 and we ended up recording it in 96 mm-hmm. and it was this thing with Eric that we uh, decided that it was time to leave and that took a long time and then Thomas Skogsberg the, the producer or engineer that we have been working with on the other three albums he was also building a new studio, and that took forever as well. So it got delayed due to a lot of things. But from what I remember, the music was all there, and we were just waiting around for a long time to record it. And that was, from what I remember, like the most frustrating time. Did you write I, it very quickly? Because I'm always taken with this album is just so damn catchy. Like this with The Devil, of course, we already played. Uh, to yeah. Ride, the title cut is great. Uh, Parasite is one of my favorite tunes of your entire catalog. That thing cool. is just brutal, and I just love the lyrics that <laughs> basically about, you know, small-mindedness that that I think is just such a cool concept for a tune. And then Damn Deal Done just is crushing. Just one of the heaviest, heaviest tunes. So a lot of great stuff there, really just all tied together. Cool. Well, thanks a lot. I mean, uh, from I remember the... Parasite lyrics, from what I remember, were written like in the studio and, and quite quick. Damn deal done. I don't remember it as being written as with same difference, like where we actually, okay, we're going to write in this period. I mean, I remember it being written more like over a longer period. Mm-hmm. And I think we started touring more on Wolverine Blues than we had done before, but it meant also that we had more time at home. So we were still, you know, like rehearsing more maybe on a like a weekly basis and, and like writing at the same time mm-hmm. whereas later it became you know like more touring and then less of this uh, you know time in sweden where you actually just go and rehearse for fun or for you know later on it became like so much more touring that you're when you're home it's more like okay we need time off first and right. that, so I, I don't really remember it as being written quickly but I mean, we had a lot of time basically mm. <laughs> on our hands where after we stopped touring on on Wolverine Blues so it felt like it was a really long writing period and i guess we were kind of writing all the way until we started recording and i think that 
kind of shows also that it's kind of diverse. There's a lot of different things on there, and it, maybe the album that is has the most different styles on it. Maybe I don't yeah, know. and and additionally, a lot of like atmospheric stuff. The movie poster cover is actually super appropriate because there are kind of like soundtrack things, and you have uh, different clips from films. You've got there's a little a little hint of cheap trick there, I think, at the start of Parasite. You've Absolutely. got a six 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 the the piano you know very atmospheric kind of soundtracky music, yeah. just as an interlude. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff going on there, and it almost sort of feels cinematic. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's how we felt as well. And and the movie posters always looks good, I think. And uh, I guess we just wanted to combine the two. And also with with the title, one of the titles was you know like the six 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 like the DC Alex Vi. Right. Uh, and then I was always trying to pick up ideas everywhere for titles or or lyrics or something. And I touring in America, I think I picked up some Guns and Ammo uh, magazines somewhere because I just <laughs> was fascinated when you advertise for guns. You know, it, I was intrigued somehow. And I, and I, like I found like some really really minimal ad for a book called To Ride, Shoot Straight and Speak the Truth. And I guess it just stuck. <laughs> Very cool. The title, yeah. Who did the bone idol on the cover? That's pretty cool. That piece of art, do you know? He's got a name. It's an old, like, Mexican death god. Oh, something. okay. So this so is it's, like it, a museum it, it, piece it, it, or something it's like It's like, actually like an existing caramel. It's a strange name. It's like Mitlantikutli or something. <laughs> it's like, uh, like a weird name. But it, if you Google it, like Mexican stuff, things <laughs> i think you, you'll find different versions of it and like you can recognize the imagery in, in a lot of i've seen a lot of different ver versions of it so it was just a, a friend of ours found it and suggested it it was one of the guys helping out with the artwork mm -hmm. he found this image and we thought it was really cool and, and funny at the same time with this like these eyes that looks like they're gonna pop out so <laughs> right yeah sure and then, you know, the name was funny, too, even though nobody knows there was nothing that we made. A, <laughs> it was just, you know, he looked looked like a funny little guy. So you wrap up to ride, shoot straight and speak the truth. And after that period, there was kind of a big shakeup in the band. Nika Anderson, who uh, for a long time was one of the driving forces in the band, left yes. to go spend more time on the helicopters, who yes. fans of the Bone Bat Show know we featured them last year that kind of left you to figure out how to approach your next album same difference yes yeah and as you said it was really uh totally new grounds and we had been doing it for a long time it felt also like just the whole thing and we were i guess a little really wanting to change things up as well you know mm -hmm. I'm sure there was a lot of nervousness as well, like proving that we could do it without Nikki and uh, maybe wanting to change everything, like change the studio, change the people we worked with, just try to do everything in a different way, mm -hmm. basically. Maybe the wise thing would have been to like not try and change everything, like try and, and just prove that, uh, yeah, we can do the same thing as before but we choose to do uh, something else. And even, I remember like even in the band, we, we were, I mean, I, I guess when, when you have a dynamic and then that changes, it's mm -hmm. like, like who's gonna be in the driving seat now and who's gonna, how's, how's the new dynamic gonna be? And I, I remember it pulling in a lot of different directions. So it was definitely a hard album to make 
It's probably the most controversial album in your back catalog, really. Because you can go back yeah. and read reviews, and you can read, like, the Spinal Tap review shit sandwich. Or exactly. you also might read the reviews that this is a great departure for a band that is trying to grow. Yeah. And I was talking to you about it. You know, you listen to Addiction King, you hear the fat entombed guitar sound. It's just a little deeper in the mix. LG's yeah. voice is there in full form, just sometimes he's doing a little speaking thing or maybe not always bellowing. But all the pieces that make up Entombed are definitely represented on that album. And listening back to it after the fact, it's a solid album. I would say I don't listen to it probably as much as Uprising or To Ride, but it's still a good album. And I think a lot of people are kind of rediscovering it now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you put it into the whole now, like if you look at the whole picture... I think it's cool that it happened or it needed to happen because we thought it would be too boring to just try and repeat something we had done in the past already, you know. But at the time, I know a lot of people thought it was maybe too big a, a step in the wrong direction or something. But for, for us, it kind of felt like we had been getting not maybe the same reactions between each album, but it was definitely, if you look from like the first album to the third, I mean, it was people already questioning if it was the same band and uh, <laughs> right and, have entombed gone soft they've slowed down you know that kind of thing yeah exactly you know so it's uh, you always get that and i'm sort of uh, glad because i always when it comes to other bands i, I kind of like the bands that have a weird period or something also or sure yeah uh, or you know albums that are just different because I realized that if you came into Entombed from the start, then this is the one that sticks out the most, of course. But if this was the first album, if you do like a signing session or something, I mean, people come up with that album and say like, this is this was my first Entombed album and I really, really like it. So it's like, <laughs> you just realize that it depends on what where you came into it. You know? To that point, I mean, music is so personal. You know what yeah. I mean? And so somebody who's been following you from left-hand path is going to maybe look at that as like a betrayal, you yeah. know? But, yeah, but so to you, it's, hey, we're trying something. Yeah, exactly. But then, like you say, if you, you start midstream and that's what a, an album you just discovered, then it's something that, you know, means something different to you. Yeah, I mean, it's just music. And I, I mean, I, I was always, because we, we haven't really played stuff from that album live for a long time. So I, maybe when, now that we do like re-releases of them, it would be cool to do shows where we actually play more from these albums. Remember, we, we used to play like Addiction King and uh, Clauses and uh, maybe one or two more songs. But uh, we tried, I think, most of the songs, but we never really uh, got them to work with the other live sets so it was definitely a difference for us as well yeah one of the other things i think that people kind of missed was the sense of humor on this album with song titles like wolf tickets or smart alec i mean you're sort of hinting at the fact that you know you're also having fun playing this music yeah. and i think that you know the the people who are like the hardcore kind of maybe didn't catch that that you were also having a good time and you see that that's one of the things you know in death metal, there's a lot of dourness and glowering and things, and Entombed have always had kind of a sense of fun about them, and that's another factor of the one of the things why I enjoy this band so much. Cool. Yeah, I, mean, I guess we always felt that when it gets too over the top with the gloominess and the Satanism and stuff, then it gets kind of boring in a way, to to me anyway, or, or almost comical, <laughs> but in the, in the wrong way, you know? Right. 
so that's uh, that's I guess why we try to always have this little like tongue in cheek or twist it around a little bit and not be too. I mean, because to us it's like it's really serious when you say something, but it's like you can't be serious, so it becomes ridiculous. That's where we weren't afraid of showing a little bit of a fun side. <laughs> but at the same time, we weren't trying to be like the sort of... Because I, I remember, like, if you could t- go too far and it becomes more of a... Novelty act. Yeah, yeah. that, like, <laughs> you, you, fun core was not okay either with us. You know, like... Right. It, it, like bands that, like, like lawnmower death or something. You know, it, nothing bad about them. But it, that was not where we wanted to be either, you know. It's like where it becomes more of a, a laughing thing because it is, of course, really serious. <laughs> it's just that it could be cool as well. Yeah, well, you, we, can, you can be afford to be a little tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, because that's usually when, like, it tried to get just the right amount of cleverness, I guess, in there. <laughs> <laughs> I always like things where it's like you, you look at something and then you listen to it and you can still find new things in it after a long time. Absolutely, that, yeah. Those are the kind of, like, albums I... I, I like myself you know where it's that you can discover more so it's you look at it first and it's you you can like it for being one thing or even like you can like it for different reasons you know like a good disney film for example where it's like the kids like it and the parents like it as well if it's well written you know and that's i kind of like that when the real pros do it you know you have everybody liking it but for different reasons you know exactly i think that's a sign of good art yeah that's what you always strive for (laughs) (laughs) now you guys didn't slow down at all though during this period i mean you know we talk about the building of same difference but right after that black juju which was the remix of wreckage right you had some of the covers from that that you carried over to black juju a few more new tunes and then following right on its heels uprising in 1999 2000 in that period yeah yeah, I guess uprising happened pretty quick because uh, <laughs> I guess the reaction to same difference was it needed to have a something to pick it up also. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember the, the Black Juju thing was uh, Frank Kosick did some cool stuff, and we just made contact with him and asked if we could do one a uh, you know a thing on his label because we basically wanted him to do the artwork for the sleeve. <laughs> oh, is that a Dead Man's Ruin, right? Yeah, Man's Ruin. Man's Ruin. Exactly. Man's Ruin, yeah. You know, because we liked his art. And uh, he always used to do, uh, like, these cool graphics for it. And uh, I guess that when it came to the Black Yuju thing, I, I guess he was doing too many releases. So he, But he found a pretty cool photo instead. So we, we never got the, like, the painting artwork. But I remember that being one of the reasons we, we wanted to do it, because we liked his art. Oh, cool. So, so yeah, Uprising was actually the first album I picked up from you guys. I was on a trip to London. I was reading uh, Terrorizer magazine on the way over. And I, yeah. I, I read the review for Uprising. I'm like, this sounds fucking cool. And so first thing, I got to a record store. And I, you know, as a metalhead, I was picking up a bunch of stuff that I couldn't get in the States. I got uh, a couple of Gehenna albums with an H. Uh, I think Hard Rocker and King of the Sidewalk. I picked up a Creator Greatest Hits thing that I hadn't seen before. And Uprising. And I actually spent the whole plane flight back listening to Uprising over and over. For my money... The first two tunes are the most brutal one-two punch in metal. Seeing cool. Red and Say It in Slugs. Just kick-ass tunes right out of the gate. Awesome. Glad to hear. I mean, that, that album seems 
that it seemed like it got a whole new following almost. I, I mean, I, I know a lot of like some some bands like Converge, a couple of other American bands seem to really like that period of Entombed. So that's I think it's really cool that because we had been around for for quite some time already there, and that people like not just like the first couple of albums that some people actually came into it, like you on on the what is it the sixth album? Sixth album, and, yeah, yeah. I'm really proud of that. that yeah, well, that was the built. hook because the you know the minute I got home, I dug up your previous five albums, yeah. EPs, and anything I could get my hands on because I was just like, That's... this band wrecks shit, and that is awesome. <laughs> cool. So, what what did you think of the other? Like, was it really was it easy to get into the older stuff then, or was that different? Like, how different was that from Uprising? You know, I, I kind of come from, like, my, the first stuff that I listened to was a lot of Iron Maiden and Metallica and things like that. And then yeah. once Metallica hit, it became a matter of just trying to find something heavier and harder and more brutal. And so yeah. I liked the first two albums, like uh, Evelyn, I think, is one of my favorite cuts off Clandestine. Cool great tune a revel in flesh of course and there's a lot of great stuff there but i i don't listen to those albums as often as i do to ride i love to ride the minute i picked that up cool and same difference i listen to every now and again but not quite as much but to ride and uprising are definitely the two that i listen to most out of your whole catalog and wolverine blues which is just kick-ass and again i think i mentioned out of hand is such yeah. a great evil tune i gotta ask you know it almost seems like the catchier the riff with you guys the more evil the lyrics and that just cracks me uh, up that song uh, it actually started with a riff that uh, the bass player at the time came up with lars but uh -huh. but we thought it needed a twist to add something new to it because we thought it sounded a bit too much like some of the stuff from the first album probably like a revel in flesh or supposed to rot kind of thing and, and it felt a little boring and at the time i really liked the mind is a terrible thing to taste album <laughs> ministry sure ministry so i still listen to it a lot because the songs uh, some of the stuff is really brilliant on there and i really like the uh, yeah, isn't the, so what the, on that album so what exact, is an amazing exact, fucking tune exactly and that uh, it's funny that you bring that up because that's actually uh first of all like we like okay let's try it with a ministry beat that was the thing and that's like cool and then now this riff that we were gonna not use now it's cool it, it's okay you know <laughs> so, so we thought that to us that was our ministry song and then uh, the track that you mentioned so what like i love the first track thieves yeah and, thieves and liars uh, and and uh, so what so that's actually to me that's my my little sort of rip off of that song is the chorus riff that i came up with for that song that's uh yeah now that you mentioned it i, I can to, see that for me it's straight from that song basically <laughs> <laughs> and then then i guess it had like a one or two little break parts or something that i think ufa came up with and that was it and then we just managed to arrange it in a way where it flows pretty nice and uh, I, I think nick had the the start idea of, i think that's that's one of those songs where it's like cool an idea that got the right treatment and a little twist to it and it turned into something that we to this day we play almost every show you know just wish you could write more songs like that every yeah. day <laughs> and then it's got the just totally just evil lyrics evil. on top of it yeah and then that's like we were actually doing a little demo on uh, on the wolverine blues songs before we recorded them and and 
me and Nicky were working on the lyrics, and he was like, "Can we say this? You know, is it is it okay to say like Jesus, Satan, Hitler? You know, like uh, so it was even like, yeah, yeah. It's you know, to me it was like, yeah. I mean, it's some words, but some people seem to really think that they were. Yeah. <laughs> like a friend of mine, she was like really deeply offended. You know, and I was like, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a long and uh, honorable history of the devil in rock and roll music, so it's certainly not unprecedented. No. And, you know, it's interesting, just to bring it back to Uprising, I mean, you talk about actually two things that we're talking about here. A song that slowly builds like So What is In the Flesh. That, yeah. that song just drips pure evil. I actually have that, like, on my Halloween party album. Because it is so good and so just dark sounding. It has kind of almost a feel like, you know, that original tune Black Sabbath with the tritone. I mean, it's just evil, evil, evil. So much fun. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, Peter, uh, the drummer, he came up with that. That's like his song. Peter Starman's? Okay. Yeah, I think he wrote the bulk of the the music for that. And uh, playing around with adding more instrumentation to it, I, I think was a great great idea as well so that one we used to play a lot also for a while so it's, mm. a, it's a cool track i mean and that definitely one of the albums that i i would hope that we can do something cool with it and maybe play if not all of it but it would be cool to just play the album because I, I know a lot of people like you who really like the album mm. and just play it from start to finish or do something with it we'll, we'll see what happens i mean it's uh, i know the others seem to be into ideas like that if, if the opportunity comes so yeah that would be cool because i've seen concerts before like an evening with clutch you don't bring yeah. out an opening band and then maybe you do like you know a full album and take a break and then come back with like kind of greatest hit stuff afterwards and that Something always like makes that. for a really cool show i think i saw yeah. a monomarth do that too one time yeah yeah i mean something like that we've never done stuff like that as long as you play the right stuff then i think it would definitely be uh worth a few bucks you know (laughs) sure now let's talk a little bit about actually the producer on uprising nico elstrand now he would actually become very important in the future of entombed wouldn't he yeah because that was the first album we did with him and then we did the one after he was involved with as well and then when jürgen left the band in 2005 i think it was or maybe even earlier I asked him to join to play bass. So, yeah, he became more and more... Because we were always kind of lazy when it came to finding... The next band member. Yeah, if it was something, somebody you already knew and you knew that he would fit in, it was more about that than, like, auditioning 100 people and looking at their fingers, you know. (laughs) Right. And then now he plays guitar for you, correct? Yes. When Ufe left in 2006... We carried on for as a four-piece for a couple of years. And then in 2010, we did a support tour for a Danish band called Volbeat. I guess they're getting pretty well-known in America, too, now. It's yeah, they do, a they do a lot of work. Sure. We did a tour with them, and it was like these arenas, almost, because they got really big quickly over here in a couple of years. And it felt like, yeah, I mean, maybe we should you know, try it with two guitars again. And didn't really know any players that would fit in and again (laughs) not auditioning people because nico had been uh, we had a a guy sit in for him for a while when he was having a kid so Mm -hmm. we we had a a bass player who filled in on on a tour 
we did in 2009. Is that Victor? Victor, yeah. So we just uh, asked Victor to play bass and, and Nico, who is a great guitar player from before, but he, for some reason, he played bass with the band he had earlier. So um, tried him on, on guitar. <laughs> it, it worked out, so. And then who's playing drums for you right now? His name is Ola. He used to be in a band called Misery Loves Company. Oh, okay. Uh, they were an Eric. We got to know him on a tour with the supported Machine Head on a European tour. And uh, Misery Loves Company was the opening band on that tour. So that's how we got to know him. He also played in a band with uh, Uffe. They had another band called Alpha Safari for a while. And he, he was a drummer in that. He's just a great drummer. He's not a metal drummer, but he's a great drummer. <laughs> we thought that it could uh, maybe be interesting to have somebody that played like maybe not like strictly metal grooves or whatever. Right. Now, the reason kind of that we're here, the last three albums, To Ride, Shoot Straight, and Speak the Truth, Same Difference, yep. and Uprising, right now you guys have a pledge music campaign to re-release yes. those three albums in double album form. Tell our listeners how they can get involved with this project because it's pretty oh. damn cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about it because since 2007, we kind of knew that the albums was going to come back to us. The albums that we did after Wolverine Blues, which is from To Ride up until the last one. So we had like six albums and, and some EPs and stuff. We knew that they were going to revert to us in 2008 or nine. So from 2007, I kind of started talking to people, getting some feedback, what people would do if they could work with this catalog. And we had some good ideas from people, some distributors and, and other labels. And then one or two years ago, I, somebody showed me the pledge site. And I just, before I even knew what it was, I was like, this really sounds perfect, you know. And then I, you know, I found out some more. And then earlier this year, I went to see them in London. And I guess that's when I really sort of understood how they worked and I think it just fit perfectly with the first stage of re-releasing these albums and uh, I really hope that we're successful with this first campaign because my only question when I met him is like when can we do the next one <laughs> there's so many projects that we would want to do this way because it, it's kind of gives you the freedom to just do it without limitations almost because I can understand like labels wanting to maybe not spend vast amounts of money on something that they however much they like it you always have the risk of sitting there with a lot of uh, records at the end yeah and, and and of course we wanted to have as much value in there as possible and not have that limited by other forces you know and what i dig about it as a fan is that i can get these albums any way i want them if i want them on audiophile vinyl with great big art so i can hang them on my wall i can get that if i want them on cd if i want digital if i want it in a package with a t-shirt there's, I think, like 35 options there. So you've got a lot of choices. I would think so. I mean, I definitely want people to feel that there is something there that they actually want and that they get good value for their money, you know. Mm -hmm. So I really hope that that's how it comes across as well. So I really have to be honest. I haven't decided which package I want to pledge yet because there's so much great stuff there. But the good news is there are 70 days left. And they're about 40% of the way there. So there's a really good chance that this campaign is going to fund. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm just going to 
Oh, somebody's playing drums here. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, we need to do everything we can to make people aware of this. Because I, I guess a lot of people are kind of new to this, and I, I guess it's more common that people do like one album project where they, you know, they want to fund a recording or something. From what I understand, which I also think is great, but mm. we're doing a lot of things at the same time here since it's actually not just three albums it's three albums and vinyl and all these things that we want to create and make available at the same time so of course it will take us a little longer to reach the, the 100 percent. but and that's also one of the cool things I, I like about it is that since you haven't manufactured anything yet we can still get feedback from fans to what actually people really want you know i, I mean the other day i had some feedback from somebody regarding what the bonus material should be for example for to ride or something because we've been digging and trying to remember what there is and uh, Ufa reminded me that there actually was a demo recorded for to ride which i had forgotten i knew there were one for for wolverine blues but i i, I didn't remember a demo for to ride with vocals and stuff like that is what I really like. If I have an album, I would really like to hear like the demos of that album and also get a little bit of the story, how like a song turned into what it ended up being in the final version. And I really just enjoyed hearing the different phases of work. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and somebody commented, don't stiff it with, with, with just like live material or like not just put like a bunch of live songs on there. So that's cool. I, I would react the same way. But you don't really know what people value. So yeah. that, that's great. And, and also I put a t-shirt design up the other day and straight away, like Facebook lit up because I put a white shirt up. And the first comment on the pledge page was, Due to my religious belief, I can't wear white. So can you? I please don't know. Play? That can... sounds like bullshit, Alex. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, you know. But obviously, he's uh, somebody who is wearing a lot of black shirts, which I can. You know, yeah, it's uh, totally. I can. You know, that's my wardrobe, so I absolutely get that. Yeah, and which is he just choose to say it in a really in a yeah. funny way, you know? Which I because it was a less of a metal design. Maybe somebody mm. called it like a rockabilly design, and it's like my only pro. I, I want to make so much stuff available but it, without confusing people also so but it's cool to see that some people really like to have something other than black and some people really want the black shirt and that's i can uh, dig both religions <laughs> <laughs> hey while we're talking about merch i actually need a new godfather entombed shirt i have worn mine out so as soon as you have those available again let me know Definitely. Well, I love um, that logo. That's badass. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's like a really old design. But again, people like it because it's a little funny. A little different. People, but Yeah. Sure. But I think I made that in like 1992 maybe or something. And we've been using it since. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I like when you have, you know, we have the logo, but then we have some other skulls and stuff that we can also we use them as almost as logos as well you know mm -hmm. i mean i i love merch that's my uh <laughs> <laughs> I, you know grew up wanting all these shirts and uh, the first show i went to was peace of mind like the Iron yeah Maiden absolutely in 83 and uh just fascinated with the whole like the people selling the shirts outside the shows and <laughs> yeah it's a big part for me <laughs> of the whole the music thing that's like some of the other music stars like a, a solo artist or like a, a singer-songwriter that's like, ah, oh, they can't do as much cool merch usually <laughs> right, with just yeah. a guy's name on there and it's yeah, usually stops there and it's not as fun to wear. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing. It's like, remember you go to like the Maiden concert and you'd pick up the tour program 
which yeah. is like the big posters in color. And it's like none of my favorite independent metal bands can afford to do that. But that would no. be so badass if there was like an yeah. entombed tour program. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. With something like Pledge, you can actually do those things because some people really want them. It's just that it's hard to maybe convince a third party to take the risk for it. But with a Pledge thing, it's, nobody's taking any risk because if not enough people want it, then it won't get made. But if enough people want it, and it usually doesn't, it seems like it doesn't take that many, you know. Mm-hmm. I guess our campaign that we run now, if we hit, around a thousand pledges i think we will be around 100 percent. i mean it would have been one thing it's like yeah we need a hundred thousand people to pledge before we're at 100 percent. but this is like a thousand people worldwide it doesn't really seem unattainable right. a goal right. you know so uh, i really like the way the platform works so so there is a link on the bone bat homepage for the pledge music drive so, folks, cool. you guys can get on there and go straight over and look through the menu, decide what you want, and pledge. Additionally, you can find the pledge drive through the Entombed Facebook page. So, we've got it both yeah. places. So, definitely check it out and throw your support to Entombed. Now, of course, this interview only brings us up through 2000. Yeah. Since then, there's a ton of history. Just to really quickly run through it, 2001 had Morningstar, the album. Yeah. 2003 was Inferno. And 2007 was Serpent Saints. There's a few EPs in there. But we're going to save all of that. We're going to hold that hostage. And you guys, you have to fund this campaign in order for us to come back. We're going to invite Alex back and talk about the next three albums for the next part of the campaign. What do you say, man? Uh, That sounds perfect. It's a (laughs) cliffhanger. They need to come back for the sequel. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, well, let's just really fast. I know I've taken up enough of your time. You guys are hitting the summer festival circuit pretty hard already. Uh, what do you got going on in the very near future for Entombed? Yeah, we're doing these summer festivals and then uh, planning the future, basically. We've been going so long. I've been wanting to do things with a bit more of a plan for a change. It, it felt like you need to justify putting out like a 10th album. It feels like it can't just be another album. And, and with every album we make, even though it's been slowing down in pace over the last couple of years, unfortunately. It's like, you really want to make sure that we not just repeat ourselves. And uh, I would definitely want it to be something else, you know, like surprise ourselves, but in a good way, not like because it's so different that people will just go, what the hell is this? But it, yeah, I would, I, I mean, I, I, as I said, I grew up with these classic albums that you still even if you don't listen to them every day, but they have all these hooks and they have great covers and these bands that just stay around and make music that will live forever, kind of. I mean, I know it's a tall order, but I really would want to make sure that we make some <laughs> classic album. We'll see what, what happens. It, we're working on stuff and hopefully we'll be able to uh, put something out soon. And I also think it's, it's a good time to sort of, with these reissues i would want to get this out of my system as well like make sure that we do this in a really good way make stuff available and take our time to sort of tell the story in the meantime because a lot of people probably didn't get this chance to see us play these albums like the the older stuff i would want to sort of sum things up with these re-releases you know and and, uh, hopefully after that go forward you know Well, I'm definitely hoping that a U.S. tour is in the cards because I actually have never seen you guys live. I had tickets for the tour that you guys had with Dismember and Grave 
back oh. in 2006, I was yeah. fucking heartbroken when that tour fell apart. And then yeah, now was... Dismember's gone, so I'm ne- I can't even see Dismember now. Oh. That was nah, just a I heartbreaker, like should, man. Because uh, we were doing shows in Europe with that package with Unleashed as well. Uh-huh. And uh, we were talking about doing, like, yeah, we should take this to America and we should take it to other places and do this Masters of Death concept, you know. And you never know. Maybe we can bring this member back somehow. I mean, I know, like, Nick and, and Fred, they have a studio where we rehearse now. Mm-hmm. So I see them from time to time. And I wouldn't say that it would be totally you know you never know what happens but they're great guys and i i hope that they will do something in the future just as an aside their last album was fucking brilliant well i mean what a what a high note to go out on this member self-titled album wow cool yeah i mean i like grave for example ola is still going strong and they i guess they have a new album coming out soon or if it's already out so i i just I think it's uh, all these bands that I used to grow up with. I, I really, even if I don't listen to Maiden and Kiss every day, I still think about them every day, and I kind of <laughs> like sort of like the idea that they are still around, you know. Yeah. And, and in the same way, I, I love the, the fact that Grave, you know, are still around because if you grew up with it, I think it's great to know that it wasn't just a fad or a trend. You know, right. it's the people that actually do it because they really enjoy it also you know yeah i I just like things that stay around basically for me it's something that is a constant Mm. in an ever-changing world absolutely (laughs) all right man well one last question we always ask all of our guests here on the bone bat show alex what pisses you off fans that quit (laughs) (laughs) damn it dismember I don't know. It's uh, sometimes it feels like nothing pisses me off enough to get really, other than you know, like injustice in general, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, other than that, it's the stuff that really pisses me off for real is when things doesn't work. You know, I guess that's uh, something that really pisses me off. I don't mind complex things, and I love, especially when complex things when you make it work and it runs smoothly. So the little things, when little things doesn't work, that pisses me off big time. <laughs> <laughs> like they say, it's not the big things; it's the little things. Yeah, you know, we when, we, we they... find that a lot here on the show. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I just wanted to thank you again for spending time with us and telling us the entombed story. This has been really cool, and I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. It's great support, and I'm very honored to be on the show. All right. Well, why don't we close out with the title cut from Same Difference. Can you tell us a little bit about this one? Now, you wrote this tune, right? Yes, and I guess some people might think it's too far from the death metal roots. Uh, I haven't heard it in a long time. I think there's a song on, on to ride that this one maybe came out of uh, it's called day i think we toured with uh, crowbar actually and uh, jimmy bauer from, from crowbar he, he turned me on to like captain beyond okay and, and leonard skinner and stuff like that and i i already really into uh, corrosion of conformity and, and stuff like that so this is like my little leonard skinner ripoff almost i think there's even a, a riff in there that is straight from a Leonard Skinner song. So it's definitely a, uh, from what I remember anyway, I haven't heard it lately, but it's uh, more of a hard rock song. Cool. Well, let's check it out.
Once again, that was Same Difference, the title cut from the 1998 album of, of course, the same name, by Entombed. Uh, thank you very much to Alex for sharing the music with us and for spending so much time telling us the Entombed story. It was very cool to have a chance to you know talk to one of my heroes once again. And uh, just find out all the inside scoop about a band like this. You know, it was cool because there was a couple of things. He's like, you know, we, we never talked about this before. So to, to kind of hear the inside story from a band you respect, that is just really cool to me. So I got to say thank you. Again, go to pledgemusic.com to support the re-release drive for these three great albums. Yeah, that may be the only reason you have this podcast, really. It's well, just so you can speak to your heroes. That, I, that I, might be I commend it. you for it. And speaking to you. Because you can't get enough of gore. No, not. Sure. There just isn't enough. You're kind of a They're... little man. <laughs> so, dude, uh, you got a political a rant? Man. I do. I got a political rant. Okay, first, just briefly before I get on to my real rant, rant, okay. I heard this thing again, and it just makes me go cross-eyed. Sean Hannity, or one of those duff shirt Fox 40 assholes, was espousing the virtues of Christianity, which is fine. But then he says, Christianity won World War II. Let me tell you something about World War II, because that's the only war we know anything about in America, World War II. The European theater, how did we get into Europe in World War II? To get into Europe, we had to do the North African campaign. First thing we did, we went into North Africa, and we had a bunch of help from the people in North Africa. And you know what those people are? They're freaking Muslims. They're not Christians. Okay, so it wasn't like a whole bunch of Christians win in World War II. Second point, you know who we were fighting in World War II in Europe? We were fighting, oh, let's see, the Spanish? The Italians? Okay, I'm relatively sure there's more than one church in those places. The Germans, they, that's, they're churches in Germany. God, I fucking hate that. Stop saying Christianity won World War II. That doesn't make any goddamn sense. And you know what? The Muslim, the North African folks that were fighting with us, they didn't just stop in North Africa. They didn't go, whoa, that's Sicily, screw that, we're stopping here. They fought like up into France and stuff. So just shut up about Christianity winning World War II. It's a stupid thing to say. Okay, I'm ready now. I'm properly pissed off. Dude, have you heard of Justin Carter? He is the kid, well, the, the man, I guess, because he's 18 years old. He got arrested in Texas oh, because... Yeah. Yeah, he said the something. He said, posted some kind of screwed up little rant when he was in a spat with another video game player, League of Legends player. And he said, "This is what he typed. He typed, think I'm a shoot up a kindergarten and watch the blood of the innocent rain down and eat the beating heart of them." Okay, that's kind of a fucked up thing to say. Rather non-specific doesn't really, in my mind, constitute any kind of specific threat against anyone. Maybe, maybe worthwhile having the cops come and give him a little question and answer time, check him out, make sure he's not standing there with a AK-47. No, this is what happens to the guy. That's, that's all he did. He did that, and allegedly afterwards he wrote LOL and JK afterwards. Someone saw his post. They called the cops. The cops went to his home. They took his computer, and they threw him in jail. They threw him in jail for typing that. Now, if he would have wrapped that and put it on an album, that would have been free speech. But you type that on Facebook, suddenly 
you're in jail for making terrorist threats. And he has been in jail for a while because when the judge finally saw him to decide whether or not they should charge him with something, they charged him with a third-degree felony of making a terrorist threat. And when they searched his house, they didn't find any guns, they didn't find any plans, they didn't find, like, a, a picture of any local schools. There's no reason to think that this guy was really making any kind of specific threat towards anyone. But he's in jail, and he's having a rough time. I guess he's now in solitary. They're keeping him in solitary naked because he's a he's a suicide risk. He's been beat up. He's got, according to his dad, he's been beat up a bunch, got concussions, got black eyes. He's been moved four times for his own protection. Dude, that's just because he wrote something stupid on Facebook. And, you know, you can't shout fire in a crowded theater but you should be able to, to say something, type something, non-specific and dumb and aggressive and juvenile and not end up incarcerated as a result. This is insane. So, you know, the families, they've got a pro bono lawyer and maybe they'll take the case to win it. But for now, there is literally a guy in jail for, and I'm going to read what he wrote one more time, I think I'm a shoot up a kindergarten and watch the blood of the innocent rain down and eat the beating heart of one of them. That's it. No guns, no plan, just a stupid-ass thing he said, and he's getting his ass beat in jail. That's not right. And that, my friends, is my political rant. So what do you attribute this to? If this same case happens in, say, California instead of Texas, does it still go down like this? Is it the locality of it, or is it... Because if this happens before Sandy Hook, I mean, what what do you think are the mitigating factors here that made it go to this extreme level? You know, I love to pick on Texas, but I don't necessarily think it's a Texas type thing. So this could have happened anywhere. Think, it's just the, I think it could have happened anywhere. I think it could have happened right out here in liberal California. But it's just the world we live in now. Yeah, after the Sandy Hook shoot up, people are upset, but people are unreasonable. And I bet you once this case goes to trial that it's getting tossed out pretty quick, but that guy, dude, it should have never got that far. But I, I can see it happening in a liberal, really anti-gun kumbaya community. I can see it happening in, you know, no shit, super conservative Oklahoma type community. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't it's either. Crazy. I'm just asking the question because I'm curious as well. What drives that? Because, you know, certainly people say stupid shit on the Internet constantly. It's Ca- just you and it's me. A torrent. Yes. No, I mean, even the we don't say the most extreme things on the Internet. We're, no, but we do say we stupid shit. On try the to be good people, but we say stupid shit. I mean, yeah. we're, we're parents, so we're probably more sensitive than, you I, know, young men would be. But there's still I guess that that's issue. take home from this. Yeah. Tell your kids don't write anything that's even remotely scary anywhere where anyone can read it. Yeah, the way you talk on Xbox Live. Yeah. Which, speaking of which, did you hear about that? That no. They're talking about, like, Xbox Live 2.0, that if you're a prick, they're basically going to segment off a certain section of Xbox Live that will be where you go if you're an asshole. If you're an asshole... They're going to basically link you up in the section with other assholes. You won't even see the people. <laughs> so you're going to 4chan? Nah, it's like fucking Escape from New York. 
they're going to put you in New York with Snake Plissken because Snake you because you call people people. fucking an asshole and you're obnoxious while you're playing Call of Duty. You won't even see the people who are playing online because they want to make that they want to reclaim that experience for people who are like reasonable casual gamers. I kind of like this. And they're going to basically make a section of hell in Xbox Live, a circle <laughs> of hell that you can get demoted to if you act like a jerk-off. That's, I approve. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of cool. I hate playing games with other people because nine times out of ten, there's one guy is just being a complete idiot. Yes, it's a total and, tool shed. Yeah. He's, and you know, more racist, more homophobic. You, a, you know, something naughty. Yeah, more more racist, more homophobic, more asshole than anybody else. And there's yeah. always one. Yeah, and sometimes there's a couple of them, and that's even worse. When they get into it, going back and forth against yeah. each other. Ugh, you're a faggot. No, you're a faggot. You're a bigger faggot than that. Figure faggot, faggot, faggot. Shut up, die. Go to the circle of hell. Yeah. You. Well, that's go what's going to happen. Go to your room. So, But you'll have to buy an Xbox One, an X-Bone, in order to uh, find out Ugh. about that. To take okay, well, that's a to, feature I like. I to, will put that on the features I like side of the X-Bone equation. To take advantage of it, anyway. How about well, will they take all those people and record their comments and then arrest them and imprison them in Texas? I, I don't know. <laughs> I might be behind that as well. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing right now is who knows if that is recorded. I mean, is everything you say on Xbox, like, on a server somewhere? It would make sense. It yeah, would I think be. they. I think they do keep a recording for a brief amount of time. So, if you get a complaint about you, they can go back and review it. Right. But so, if you made a terrorist last, threat, right. they could actually track back to it. Yeah, but they're not going to find something you said to me two years ago on Xbox Live. <laughs> when I called you a slobbering no. <laughs> <laughs> when you said, "Stop shooting me." <laughs> Ow, my back! <laughs> how do you keep? Uh, I never even know how to. Damn it! <laughs> yeah. I, so somewhere on the internet, there's five thousand hours of you saying, "Look at your fucking mini map." <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, inside. Where's that? Look at the mini map. God damn it! Ah, <laughs> uh, inside jokes. Okay. Well, dude. <laughs> Uh, just a True little... story, people. Last time we were playing, Steve hit me in the helmet with a stun grenade <laughs> and ended our game. <laughs> Gord goes, it was and it wasn't even on purpose. It's funnier than shit. Gord goes, we're running away from this juggernaut, this guy wearing armor. We're playing Call of Duty. And uh, we're running away from this juggernaut. And Gord's like, I'm out of flashbangs. Do you have a flashbang? And I'm like, yes, I'm trying to run forwards. He's like, turn around and throw it. And so I turn around it's and just... worse than that. You go, wait, how, how do you switch to flashbangs? You don't have to switch. You just push your left shoulder button. He's oh, like, throw okay. it, throw it. So I spin around and I throw it. And instead of the juggernaut being behind me, Gord is directly behind me. <laughs> and the, the flashbang goes, pating, right off his helmet and shoots straight up in the air and explodes. We all go blind. It was one of those situations where you don't know whether to shit or go blind. I did both. Oh, we knew. We went blind. I did both. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was, that was yeah. fantastic. Well, well played. Well, did little uh, bone bat news. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention. August 4th at the 2-Bit Saloon in the Ballard area of Seattle, 
is going to be a benefit show for the family of BJ Annette, who we mentioned was the singer of the band IROT. It's going to be an amazing show. Uh, Burning of Eye is playing, Barefoot Barnacle is playing, and IROT is reforming, and Gavin, BJ's son, is going to sing lead vocals for IROT. It's going oh, wow. to be an amazing evening in celebration of BJ's life and also support of the family to help them meet medical expenses and things like that. Anybody, I would say, please come out to Two-Bit Saloon on Sunday, August 4th, and check this show out. I know that a lot of the Metalhead fans are going to be there, but hey, you nerdcore guys, you listen to the Bone Bad Show, you dig what we play, come out to Two-Bit Saloon on August 4th and show support for one of the Bone Bat family it would really mean a lot to the family and the bands. There's a lot of great music there that you've heard here on the show before. Please join us. And that's about it. Right. You ready for another tune? I'm ready. All right. Why don't we get this damn deal done? This tune is from the album 666 to Ride, Shoot Straight, and Speak the Truth, 1997. I hope you like it.
Once again, damn deal done by Entombed. I hope you like it. Dude, time for a little multimedia triage? Dude! By the way, there is new Borderlands 2 downloadable content. What, what, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know this. There's been a bunch, but this latest thing is really cool. Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon's Keep. It plays as if Tiny Tina is the dungeon master in a game of Dungeons and Dragons, and you're all the players in it. Oh, nice. And so the landscape, the changes, it's all different monsters, it's all different stuff. And Tiny Tina, being the personality that she is, she occasionally gets bored or frustrated or changes her mind, so like objectives change, monsters change, things just change on her whim. It looks really awesome, and I've really been planning on downloading it and playing it, but I keep getting stuck playing XCOM. So (laughs) hopefully next time we do this show, I will have actually done it. But it looks really cool, I want to do it, but... God, you know, my sniper is just about to level up. And the alien infestation that I'm allowing to happen again is just out of control. So is it a uh, multiplayer DLC then, or is it single player? I imagine it's multiplayer. That sounds pretty goddamn fun. We've got to do that. Doesn't it? Yeah. Do you know, is it part of the season pass? No, it's its own thing. It is, okay. You're going to have to pay eight bucks or whatever. Because to me, it. season pass means season motherfucking pass. And so if I yeah, have the a season pass. Over. It's a new season. It's not a new season. It's Borderlands new season, 2. Gosh. The season of Borderlands 2 should be anything they release for that game. Hey, here's a the question for only you. four months long. Since we're Three talking about games, do you see yourself ever again buying another Xbox 360 game? Xbox 360 game? Yes. Yeah, sure. Do you think they're going to be any more? What big-name titles are coming? It seems like the developers have stopped in preparation of the next they generation. They have stopped, but there is still... I remember seeing something on Joystick about a game coming out that you know it was going to come out for Xbox 360, and I thought, oh, that looks cool. The Last of Us was like the last big A game, and that's for PlayStation, and that was delayed a long time, I think, because it seemed like we heard about it a long time ago. And yeah. The last thing I bought was Bioshock Infinite back in March or April. So, I mean, there and there's really nothing on my radar. Maybe that'll change it back. But right now, it just seems like there's no real games. I mean, you're talking about Borderlands 2 DLC. Yes, I want to download that. I also want to get caught up on there's been Mass Effect 3 DLC. There's, like, basically, like, a hard-boiled crime expanded mission that happens on the Citadel that you can go back and play, which sounds totally fucking fun. And so that's like the other thing that I want to do. But other than that, uh, I haven't seen any games that I want to buy. Okay, here's another question. Do you All see right. yourself ever buying another game on disc, or would you go to the electronic download model? I like having physical copies of things, especially since I live in a place where the Internet goes out. <laughs> but you're even less like needful of stuff than I am. You don't have a collector mentality. You don't need no, to you have. have a hoarder mentality. I do not. That's uh, true. I'm not a fucking hoarder, but I do have a collector. If there's a band I like or a author I like or a, you know, video game I like, I like to collect them all. So, the, yes, that. But I don't have, like, piles of fucking newspaper in my house. Not newspaper, no. No. So, uh, I, I deny the hoarder a... accusation, but still. <laughs> there are. Because that's uh, a loaded term. There, there there's, like, books. fucking reality shows about people who live amongst cat piss. And that is not me, for the record. For the record, he does not live amongst cat piss. And he does not have newspapers in his house. He has a lot of books. Yeah, I've got a fuckload of books. And CDs and DVDs. But Yeah. 
And you know, the reason I like a physical copy of my game, my music, whatever, is it has nothing to do with collecting or not collecting. It has everything to do with me being paranoid and buying too much insurance. It's it's just like one more way to ensure that this thing that I like, I'm going to have it. So if there's an EMP and it wipes out all the uh, hard drives in the neighborhood, I'll still have my CD of the stuff. If uh, the internet goes down, I can still access my stuff. If okay. a hard drive fails, I still have my stuff. It's it's about ensuring that I have it, not necessarily collecting or not collecting. Okay. Good to know. I was just curious because okay. it seems like this generation is drying up. And I haven't decided, you know, PlayStation versus Xbox One. Yeah. And that's just kind of a you know, weird... The thing is, there's really no thing that's driving me to buy a new console there's no game that i'm thinking wow i really want that 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 i see yet and i'm i've still got a lot of i mean gosh i'm still playing XCOM. i'm going through that game again because it's so fun yeah well that's the thing as long as you can play the games that are fun you know what's the necessity of immediately being an early adopter i guess yeah it's a bad idea usually with xbox at least don't get the first generation you're gonna get fuckered (laughs) <laughs> you're gonna get you're gonna get the chipset that oh that's the one that catches on fire and demon shoot out and eat your cat you know don't don't want that one. Speaking get of the that, next... I've heard two stories in the last week. I was just claiming how much I loved my Samsung Galaxy Three. Yeah, that like they're exploding and burning people <laughs> like a fucking oh, God. AMC <laughs> Gremlin in your pocket, but an AMC Gremlin that you keep in your pocket. Hmm. Or is it don't, GMC? You know what? Is it GMC Gremlin? That... What is it? Yeah. Know. That was an AMC pacer. Maybe. Something like that. It was the, the Pinto that would burst into flames. <laughs> anyway, I think right now it would be a really good time for you to stop storing your phone in that case that's made out of nails and ball bearings. Good to know. I will no longer keep it in the shrapnel case. Yes. The shrapnel can you normally carry it around in. <laughs> Uh, for some reason, I had it in a, a metal can full of jacks. I don't know why that seemed like a good idea, but it just, you know, it looked cool. I got I to yeah. fucking say, it looked sweet. And, you know, why not do that? That's a good reason for anything, right? Yeah, just stick it in that other case you have that's made out of white phosphorus. Speaking not, of sticking not... it in, what else have you been enjoying lately? Well, I've seen some movies. Saw Monsters University. Yeah? How was it? Uh, it was fun. It was not nearly as good as Monsters Incorporated, Monsters Inc., but it was still a fun movie. But you could tell, you could tell there was the the intrusion of Disney on the Pixar world because at really? some point in the movie, they they did the obligatory shitty ass symphony soundtrack. They they wanted so bad for there to be a singing number, and you know Pixar must have nixed that. Well, there was a singing number, but it was brief and funny, and Randy Newman wrote it. But they, they had to do that, that orchestral, symphonic, Disney bullshit in there. And there was no really fun part. There was no crazy fun thing with the doors or anything. It was just an eh movie, I thought. Huh, that's Fun, bad. but utterly forgettable. It seems like Pixar's been kind of on a run like that. Like, I, I had no real interest to see Cars 2. Yeah, I, I know I would interest to see Cars 1 halfway through that one. <laughs> I liked Cars 1, but yeah, Cars 2, I was just like, eh... I didn't really want to see this. I mean, I'll, I'll probably see it at some point, but 
I don't know. Wreck-It Ralph wasn't Pixar, and that was like the best Pixar movie in years, I thought. Yeah, that was a really fun one. I just saw Despicable Me 2, which was really fun. That was, <laughs> I, I laugh. I've enjoyed that movie more than any other movie I've seen in a while. More than Iron Man 3, more than... It was just an enjoyable movie. It wasn't deep, it wasn't original, it was just great characters, a lot of attention to detail, and just plain freaking fun movie. I I need to see it. I kind of only saw, like, Despicable Me, the first one, like, kind of half-assedly. It was on, and I was in the room while it was on, but I wasn't really paying attention. You were shooting up. No, I was just, like, reading a book or something, and it, you know, didn't leave an impression on me at all. And so we were talking about it, because, like, last Friday I wanted to go to the movies, and, uh, you know, we were talking about that, and that was kind of the front-runner, because, I, you know, the movie that I went and saw was Lone Ranger. And kind of, I had been looking forward to that movie, and I liked the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. I watched a ton of the old Lone Ranger TV show, Clayton Moore and Jay Silverheels, back in like third and fourth grade. Every day after school, I would watch that. So that was like, you know, something I looked forward to. And then the reviews started coming in, and we're just saying it's shitty, and it's too long, and... It doesn't have any soul to it, and oh, oh my god! <laughs> That's what they say about your dick after anal sex. <laughs> it doesn't have any soul to it. Nice. It's shitty and too long. <laughs> Johnny Depp is not a real Indian. I mean, you know the the uh, <laughs> complaints just go on and on and on about it. But then I read a couple of reviews that said, you know, not so fast. And I went and saw it with the kids. Took the kids, and you know what? The what? first. I don't know. Two thirds of the movie is pretty damn good. It has some fun moments. It has some goofy moments. A couple of really surreal moments that you almost wonder how that got in the film, which makes yeah. it fun. And then you get to the last 20 minutes or so, and the William Tell Overture kicks in, and the end of it is this crazy fucking double train chase scene. That is the most fun thing I've seen at the theater in quite some time. It was an absolute blast. It's just going 100 miles a minute. It's action. It's packed with with just kind of goofy jokes that happen while this crazy shit's happening on the train as they're going back and forth. And it was so much fun. The end of it was just brilliant. And it was totally worth it. And I started thinking about like a lot of the reviews... We're saying that the movie is too long. And that kind of pisses me off because, you know what? We're in this kind of, we have this YouTube mentality now. I mean, you've admitted yourself that you don't have the longest attention span in the world. I've already stopped listening to you. But (laughs) uh, with a lot of films, we don't give them the time to unfold anymore. You know, it's got to be 90 minutes and out. And it turns out if I had listened to the reviewers, I would have missed out on this film. Because you, and you know what else is long? The Searchers, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, uh, Outlaw Josie Wales. There are a ton of great fucking westerns that are long and worth Django your time. Django is three hours long. Absolutely. And so, you know, you look at that and you have to say, give a movie like this a chance. If you watch it and you don't act like you've got somewhere better to be, then you're going to enjoy this film. I guarantee it. Because the last 20 minutes is brilliant. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, but it still looks like a shit sandwich to me, so I'm not, not sure if I'm going to watch you know, it. I, I, you know what? Take the boys. What? The boys will freaking love it. I'm telling you, dude. Are you telling me? Yeah, my kids dug it. They really liked it a lot. Even maybe more than I did. I don't know, man. If 
90% of the reviewers say it's a shit sandwich, and you look at it, and it looks like a shit sandwich, and then you come along saying how good the bread is. It's still a shit but sandwich. You know what? But that's critics. Critics get paid to see movies. They don't necessarily do it out of love all the time. That's if you're true. there seeing a movie because you fucking like movies and you enjoy going to the movies and you're there to spend time with your family and have a good experience, that's different than I got to get this knocked out because I got a fucking deadline at 11. It's a different thing, dude. All right. It's a different thing. You watching Under the Dome? Speaking of things that were interminably long the first time. <laughs> I'm recording it. I have yet to peek at it. I need to know from someone I trust. Maybe even someone like you, uh, <laughs> if it's worth my time, because I spent 16 months reading that book. Or it seems <laughs> right, like it. and now you're going to spend another 13 weeks on it. Right. <laughs> you know what? It's not bad. They're changing things around, though, because, like, obviously you can't really so much rape a corpse on television. Not so much. No, not so much. So they kind of changed that part a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, that's frowned upon on CBS at 9 p.m. on a Sunday night. You just can't do that. No. And and there's some other stuff like uh, Barbie's backstory, the uh, main character who's kind of a drifter, a former uh, military man who's currently kind of a drifter in the story. One of the main characters, and he has kind of a different backstory, this weird, almost kind of mafioso-type thing that's going on that's absolutely a departure from what happened in the book. So it's almost kind of more fun to see the changes than it is to see the story itself. But some cool shit has happened, like the the dome when it comes down and bisects a cow was fucking awesome. They did that, a cow instead of a chipmunk. Yeah, it was really cool. And there's been a, a number of nice touches, but so far it's okay. I, I'm not I'm not highly recommending the you know dedication it's going to take to get through 13 weeks of this. At this point, the jury's still out, but it's keeping my attention enough to watch the next episode. I'll say that. All right. Say that. Yeah, I read a book. Did you? Without pictures. Uh, I read Lunatics by one of my favorite columnists, Dave Barry, and uh, another guy, Alan Zwiebel. And Dave Barry, he writes really funny columns, and the book is really funny for the first three, four, five chapters. It's fast-moving. It's madcap. But, man, a whole book of Dave Barry, it gets to be a bit much. It's a lot like shock tarts. You know, you get a handful of shock tarts. Ooh, they're sour. And, oh, that was good. But if you have to eat, like, the whole big box that they give you at the theater, it gets to be a bit much. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he should stick with writing... Uh, Peter Pan stories and uh, writing uh, columns in the newspaper. No wonder you think movies are long if you're eating the whole box of fucking shock tarts. <laughs> God, you try to get through a five-pound brick of shock tarts, that three-hour-long movie is a long time. And let me tell you something else. They're not real gentle coming out. <laughs> that explains a lot, man. It explains a lot. You know, I read a book, too, uh, actually. Uh, what was it? Dexter in the Dark by Jeff Lindsay. It's the third of the Dexter novels. Yeah. And it starts out fantastic. Dexter, of course, the serial killer who works for the police so he can only kill bad guys and get away with it. You know, the the books have definitely had kind of a different path than the TV series has. Mm -hmm. So it's its own thing, and the two don't really touch. But in this story, 
Dexter is stalking his next victim and kills him. And he is witnessed by someone. And it turns out that the person that he killed was basically kind of working for this puppet master mass murderer. And so it's very fascinating because the guy immediately from the word go finds out who Dexter is, where he lives, is trailing him, and is fucking with his life. And you're going, wow, this is really good. Just the pages are flying. I'm flipping through it, and it gets to the end. And unfortunately, Lindsay kind of screws the pooch. Uh, He didn't do the it's all a dream thing, did he? No, but what he did do was he takes a, a series that is kind of based in forensic reality. And, you know, they've always talked about Dexter's dark passenger, which is the force that drives him to kill. And in the books, that's even more prevalent. The dark passenger has more of a voice than you see on the TV show. And there's this whole kind of a supernatural angle that pops up in the end of the story that ends up taking you out of it because it it's kind of the opposite of how things are usually handled in these books. And so I was absolutely disappointed in the end. If you're a hardcore Dexter fan, go ahead and read it. It's a brisk read. It'll only take you a couple of days. But if not, and you just occasionally pick them up, I'd pass this one altogether. Wow, look, I gave a negative review to something. My God, are you okay? I don't think so. Who are you? What have you done with Steve? Let's turn that around, though. Uh, The new Kirby Crackle album, Sounds Like You, released this week and uh, got a hold of a copy of it. And I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that. Uh, Now, the last album kind of was a mix of a number of different styles. They had a song like Booty Do Math, which was kind of like a funk tune. They had a little bit of rap. They had a little bit of uh, just a melange of different styles going on. And Sounds Like You is actually more of kind of a focused effort. It's just straight up bright, cheery, summery rock and roll is, I guess, the best way to describe it. And I I would say it's less specifically nerdy where previous albums have had like a lot of comic book content. This one, there's like one song and it's the Spider-Man single that came out a few months ago. There's a song about Star Wars. There's a song about Game of Thrones. But... It's a little bit like less specifically nerdy and maybe a little more grown up. I, I think it might appeal more to, you know, the general public than maybe their previous offerings if they were kind of being pigeonholed as a comic book band. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what's cool about the album is, you know how you you do a lot of riding your bike in the summer and you're I riding do. down the street and you smell. Oh, I smell I smell some barbecue chicken over there. And then you come a little farther and I smell some hamburgers. And you have like these little hints of things. That's kind of what this album is like. Like uh, the second <laughs> tune is called uh, Set Your Phasers to Sexy. And it kind of remind me a little bit of Cheap Trick. And then the next tune, uh, 140 characters, uh, a British band I did called Maximo Park. There's like a little hint of that. It's a, a Twitter song. But it's kind of fun. It reminds me of something else. There's a song later on, Moisture Farm. This is obviously a Star Wars salute. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of Weezer. And it's just kind of fun to, you know, have these, like, little hints and reminiscences of other cool summer music as you're going through the album. Uh, It ends with this song called North of the Wall, which is, like, the heaviest thing. I wouldn't say heavy. I mean, for Kirby Crackle, they're never that heavy. But it's probably the heaviest tune that they've done. And it's got like just a great kind of driving fat sound to it. And then in the middle of it, it's got this kind of queasy sort of a downshift into a slow section for this really scorching solo. And it's really fun. But overall, I got to say my favorite tune on the album is there's a song called The Same Thing. 
which is like this bright, catchy song about equality. And it's just like basically Arl Sunshine. And really cool cut. The riff immediately stuck in my head, and I really dug it. Another tune I liked, uh, Take You Out Tonight, which is kind of a love song to Seattle. And then uh, another tune, uh, One More Episode, which is funny because, you know, it's weird how Kirby Crackle has more of a tie-in to my life than any other pop group. You know, Kanye West and, (laughs) you know, all these people who are selling a million albums, they don't speak to me at all. And yet one more episode is about sitting at home with your loved one, binge-watching TV shows. In the last (laughs) week, I've been watching, like, Dexter Season 6 and The Newsroom on HBO. And that's exactly how I spent the evening is, hey, honey, do we have one more episode? And that's exactly what the song's about. And, you know, it's just poignant kind of slice of life stuff that really actually speaks well to me. And probably, like I said, a little more grown up, a little more uh, wide appeal than some of their previous stuff. I really enjoy the album, and I suspect it'll probably be my second favorite album after I've given it a little more time. All right, then. Filthy jokes? Filthy jokes. Why don't we do a tune first? Oh, yeah, let's do a tune. This is my favorite tune off the album 666 to ride shoot straight and speak the truth this is parasite
Once again, Parasite by Entombed. Go to pledgemusic.com and pick this album up because you're going to want it. Either vinyl, CD, digital, any way you want it, you can get it there. Eight track? Except for eight track. I don't think they're, they're not doing a lot, a lot of like Sanskrit tablets. They're not doing a lot of dead language type stuff with it, but uh, most of your modern mediums you can get there at pledgemusic.com. Filthy jokes. Filthy jokes. A man has a terrible addiction to cigars. Okay. And he, he goes to his doctor to try to find a cure. And the doctor recommends a drastic form of aversion therapy. Says, when you go to bed tonight, take one of your cigars, unwrap it, and stick it completely up your ass. So the next day, remove the cigar, rewrap it, and place it back with the other so you can't tell which one it is. <laughs> The aversion is obvious. You won't dare smoke any of them, not knowing which one is the treated cigar. <laughs> Thanks, Doc, says the man. I'll, I'll give it a go. And away he goes. How about a month and a half later, the man comes back. The doctor's surprised. He goes, are you still an addict? I'm surprised. Usually it's a very effective cure. Well, it was effective, said the man. I, I don't smoke cigars anymore. Well, what's the problem, he says. I can't go to sleep without a cigar in my ass. <laughs> nice. Thank you. That's good. Go ahead, Steve. Lay it on me. Hey, what do you, Gordon, and the Oakland Raiders have in common? Oh, God. Okay. Hey, what? Both of you suck for four quarters. <laughs> What did I do to deserve that? <laughs> I saw that one and I thought that was that was great. I gotta I gotta use that on the show. And use me, you did. I never go there anymore. Okay. No. <laughs> thank yous. Of course, I would like to thank Alex Hellid, Three Man Records, and Entomb for the fantastic music this episode. Also for spending time with us, I'd like to thank. Gordon, for joining me on the fucking show, man. Me? Yeah, you. You're welcome. I'd like to thank the I am am the bat part of the bone bat thing. I'd like to thank the bees for pollinating shit. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I would like to thank the bees for all they do for us. Thank you, bees. (laughs) And I I realize it's a a difficult time for you as a species. It's a tenuous time between our two species, and I I just hope that we can get along. Can't we all get along? (laughs) Our usual bullshit. You can reach the show at 425-296-6557 or via email to steve at bonehand.com. We have a Facebook page as well as a Twitter feed, and I am Bonehand over there. Uh, MightyWombat.com is where I do my thing. I occasionally tweet, launch a little tweet out there to the Tweetosphere at Mighty underscore Wombat. And I'm more likely to post something silly on our Facebook page. So check that out. Absolutely. And of course, thank you for listening. And if you like what we do, please tell a friend. Have you told a friend lately about the Bone Bat Show? What have you told a friend lately? Exactly. Tell about us. Tell about this. This thing that you listen to. You don't need to listen to it shamefully alone in the dark. (laughs) The closet. Come out. Go ahead. Share. Let your freak flag fly. In closing tonight, we're going to check out another tune from 1999's 
Uprising, a fantastic album by Entombed. This is just a big, heavy, atmospheric number. Scary as shit. You're going to love it. This is In the Flash. Once again, I'm Steve. This is Gord. Have a good one. It wasn't In the Flesh, a Pink Floyd song. Not like this, man.
And let me tell you something else. They're not real gentle coming out. <laughs> that explains a lot, man. It explains a lot.